Your move, creep. Mission luck, Bruiser. You both Son, your ego is writing checks your body can't cash. It's the only thing I know how to do. It's a good-looking boy. I'm a member of the Imperial Senate. That's Nightmare! Welcome to Earth. You crossed the line. You know, that's just like, uh, your opinion, man. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Retrograde Podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about older movies. We talk about how they were made, how they were received, and whether or not they hold up. I am Austin. And I'm George. All right. So we had a really tough film to talk about last week. Four months, three weeks, and two days. Very great episode, though. I'm really happy with the episode. Uh, Really Mm -hmm. happy that Victoria was on. I think it's probably one of my favorite episodes. Like, it's kind of up there with, like, uh, the Blues Brothers. And, like, there's a lot of films that are really fun to talk about. That one was a very, it was a a really interesting conversation. Because there was a lot to Mm -hmm. delve into that film. And I recommend you guys check it out. The movie is really difficult. And if you're not really in the mood to watch it, that's okay. We break it down and we talk about it. Yeah, it's a really, really good movie, too. I was, there was a moment where I was watching the movie. I'm like, wait a minute, what if this movie's bad? And then within like five minutes, I'm like, no, this is a good movie. I can see why, (laughs) you know? You know what's interesting? Steven Soderbergh has a quote where he says that he knows whether a film's going to be well-directed by the first three shots in a movie. Yes, and which I agree which is something we've said before. <laughs> uh, I also I also agree with the first shot of the movie is the fish bowl, right? Mm-hmm. And you see these these fish in front of like this fake backdrop, mm-hmm. and then we see Gabita and and everything, and then the movie ends with the two women like in front of like the in a restaurant, mm-hmm. like they're the fish exactly. in the bowl from the beginning, and then she looks to the camera. It's like what would you do? Oh, it's so good. So good. That was so a cool good. fourth wall breakage. Yes. Well, well deserved. Absolutely. And I, I could see why it's on the BBC's list of best, best films from the 20 years, 21st century. Yes. Definitely worth checking out. And we put in a lot of time and effort into that episode. Like a lot. Oh, yeah. And we also... A lot think, of research that we didn't even talk about. <laughs> man, well, if we had talked about it, that episode would have could have easily been four hours. Absolutely. There was so much to talk about that I could mm-hmm. have easily seen that be been our been our longest episode by far. Um, but we we've talked about it, but now we want to switch over to something very different, something something that isn't as emotionally uh, impactful. Or you know, at least, this might not be emotionally impactful, but it might impact our other senses because we're going to be talking about. Oh, actually, Austin, what film are we going to be talking about this week? On this episode, we will be talking about M. Night Shyamalan's Signs from 2002, starring Mel Gibson and Joaquin Phoenix, and a small Abigail Breslin, I believe, right? Yes, that is her. Very young. Yeah, this is four years before Little Miss Sunshine, so she's even... this is like like, uh, E.T. Drew Barrymore, like... You know, oh like yeah, she gets older and becomes in more like adult things. And mm-hmm. Absolutely, this is kind of like the the next generation's Drew Barrymore. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about this film. This was a good one. I was trying to figure out, okay, well, how do we follow four months, three weeks, two days? And there are a few films I was thinking about, and then you said, let's talk about Signs. It's going to be celebrating its anniversary pretty soon. I haven't yes, seen it's this been movie. Twenty 
You haven't seen this movie? No, no, I haven't seen this movie since 2002, I think. Um, oh. So I, I have oh, wow. seen it, but I haven't seen it since. Hmm. I haven't even really visited clips again or anything. I kind of... Oh. I just remember <laughs> about the ending, but that's about yeah. it. I don't remember if uh. the movie's actually scary... If it's suspenseful, there is one scene that I think we all remember if we saw this movie as children that kind of scared the living shit out of all of us, uh, which we will talk about. But outside of that, I can't remember anything else about the film. Uh, I remember this was a movie that we watched like heavy on repeat when I was growing up, like on DVD. We watched on DVD a bunch. I don't think we saw it in theaters. Didn't really watch very many horror movies in theaters as when I was younger. But we played this one so much. There were parts of it that we just had like memorized. Mm-hmm. And I always I always thought it was funny how like the little girl, Ab- Abigail Breslin's character, like leaves these glasses of water everywhere. <laughs> um, and when I first started going out with Leanna, she had this reputation of like not finishing her water all the way through. Like when she'd come visit, she'd like drink half of it and then like leave it there. And I'd like a walker to her car, come back, and there's like these half-filled glasses of water around my apartment. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, and I'd be like, "You're like the little girl from Signs," and she's like, "Everybody always says that." <laughs> <laughs> uh, does she still uh, do that? I'm curious. She still does this. <laughs> we we live together now, so I'll see like a glass of water at her bedside. Like, mm. eh. I knew I shouldn't fill it up all the way. <laughs> <laughs> Typically. In alien movies, they'll like send tanks and jets and assault rifles and nukes to try to destroy these extraterrestrial beings or these these aliens. Yeah. And then it turns out that they're defeated by the simplest shit. War of the Worlds? Birds. Signs. Oh, spoilers. Uh, I haven't seen that one. Oh, you haven't? Oh, never mind. But uh it's okay. and I but I won't but I won't say what <laughs> it's my fault. <laughs> but it's just funny that there's like a pattern of like having these super powerful aliens be be defeated yeah. by something simple that we take for granted. Yeah. And in a quiet place, it's like really high frequency sound. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else? Uh, in freaking Mars Attacks, it's the also high frequency sound. I think Slim Whitman, his music, <laughs> I think. Oh, man. See, uh, it, it's just funny. That's like a, a funny pattern. I wonder if there's anything behind that, like taking these kind of insignificant details or these things that we take for granted and like why that is. Like... Well, is it just is it just there because that's like a movie trope or is there like maybe something deeper to it? I don't know. I feel like uh, if if aliens did come and invade us, our weapons aren't going to do shit to them. You know, true. <laughs> like, they, they if they can if they've mastered space travel so that we don't even see them and they get to us, like if they have the ability to travel to us and we can't even see where they are, we're not going to make it. All right. If they want something from us, they're going to kill us unless. By the grace of Jesus, there's some weird thing that we have that they've never seen before that just totally fucks them up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that. Uh, so, like, I know people complain about, like, why would they invade a planet with 70% water? Like, sh- shut the fuck up. All right. Well, you they... <laughs> look, you, you, I think with any movie, you kind of have to have some suspension of disbelief. Yeah. And you have to also yeah. understand that. I mean, it's just, it's just a premise. Yes, honestly, you could like just take apart any premise if you really wanted to there's no premise that is absolutely good but honestly that could be said about a lot of your own life choices like what absolutely yeah it's like (laughs) like why did you do this like 
she was a great girlfriend. Why'd you cheat on her? And it, or whatever, for whatever reason. Like, we do that all the time. Like, absolutely. I was, I was talking to some friends about this. Like, we, especially when it comes to horror films, we overestimate how much we would survive. Or, like, I think we, we criticize characters in horror films too easily. Like, they're, there's too much yeah. scrutiny against most of them. Now, I understand that sometimes it really is stupid, but there are the times it's yeah. like, look, you're watching a horror film, you want to see people die. Like, if you're watching a horror film and nobody dies, that's kind of a waste of my time. Almost, almost. Uh, almost. almost. I don't think very many people die in this one. Well, and, and that's why I said almost, because, you know, this, well, this is a different type of horror film. And, yeah. and actually, that goes to a lot of M. Night Shyamalan, because he, is he a hard director? I don't consider him, like, one similar to, like, Wes Craven, but, no. but he is, he does frighten you, like, yeah. It's he's like a thriller suspense horror kind of guy. Um, yeah, that's, I would think that's accurate. I I don't know if I've ever seen I've I've seen this I've seen signs I've seen the village I've seen parts of Avatar the last just like the the bad parts I guess people, the parts that people make fun of mm-hmm. um, and I've seen the I think there's like an elevator one. Oh no like no one he, of didn't, them is, he didn't direct that but he was okay. a producer. That one was awful i hated that that's such a cool premise though i like that i think like one of you is the devil it's like (gasps) i don't know i think confined space movies are like very ambitious i like i like the idea of them but sometimes they don't work for me but sometimes they're really really good so yeah i don't know yeah but uh, about this film, I mean, I remember watching this film when it came out with my parents, and I remember for a large part being bored. But then, <laughs> but then, you know, there is a scene. I think we all know it. I won't spoil it, just so you know, if you want to rewatch this. But there's a scene, like I think halfway in the middle, where aliens happen, and I it freaked <laughs> me the fuck out. I think yeah, that might have yeah. like is it the home video part? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I think that scene. <laughs> I uh, think I, lo- I, th- I lost yeah. so many nights of sleep because of that scene alone. I think because like what why I wanted to uh, talk about this movie is because there's another alien movie coming out, which I I think it kind of has a similar vibe. How there's aliens, but we're not focused on the world's reaction to them. We're focused on this small group of people, mm-hmm. this family unit, yeah, and how they are interacting with these aliens that have insane technology and are capable of extreme violence. (laughs) Well, it really, some of these are like dramas, you know, because, because you have to have the conflict within the family and that like, yeah, aliens is a big part of it, but you also have like the family drama because you're seeing how they react to it and how they react to it together and kind of how that adds conflict to, to their life. Yeah, And I I think that that's, what like it kind of makes sense of how the aliens are defeated like in a quiet place it's it's sound like that high frequency sound that defeats them and it's something that the dad is trying to do for the daughter because she's deaf he's trying to like fix her hearing aid and there's a family trauma that happens that they can't speak about Mm -hmm. and I i think sound plays a really interesting role in that movie and i think in nope i'm not really sure what's happening there but it's a family unit it seems like Kiki Palmer is like really happy about something, and Daniel Kaluuya. Ku- uh, Daniel Kaluuya is like not happy about something. I'm just based off the trailer, so there's some kind of family issue there 
that I'm I'm sure is going to come in when the aliens attack. Mm -hmm. They're going to like get over that somehow. And I think that's the same in science. There is a family trauma that's happened. There's like something happened to the family and they're no longer the same. And through this conflict with the aliens, it is resolved in some way. Absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. And I like that comparison between signs and no, because they seem kind of similar in that regard. Like, I remember signs like when it was being promoted, it was like a really mysterious film. Like you never saw the aliens. You just saw the crop fields and everyone's trying to figure out what's happening. What what's causing this? And nope seems the same way. We understand that it's aliens, but we don't know what they look like, what they're here to do. We don't even know like what's the inciting incident. So are you fighting them? Are you befriending them? What's the what's the <laughs> what's what's the real story, which the marketing for nope has been incredibly secretive. So we still don't know. But very similar vibes. And you're right. It really does focus on Mel Gibson's family and Kiki Palmer and her family. They both seem like they're in New Mexico, too, right? Well, are they? I don't know. I don't know about if Nope is in New Mexico, but it's like in the middle of the plains, like not a big city or whatever. Well, it's on the outskirts of a city or it's in the desert, right? It's in an isolated area. Same as in signs. You don't see big metropolitan cities or anything like that. It is a corn. It is a farm and a cornfield, which takes place in Pennsylvania. So very, very, very similar kind of presentation. I'm curious to see kind of what Jordan Peele does, but I'm also curious to revisit signs. All right, let's get into the box office for 2002 because Signs, where do you think Signs placed? I can't remember. I know we've talked about 2002. Uh, I'd say from between 7 and 10. Between 7 and 10. Okay. Uh, at the domestic box office, the number one movie of 2002 was Spider-Man. Yep. Sam Raimi Spider-Man. We did an episode on this. Go check it we out. We did two episodes. It's a two-parter, yep. actually, yeah. Um, number two. Star Wars Episode 2, Attack of the Clones. Number 3, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Number 4, Signs. Oh, shit. Oh, I was wrong. And Yeah, this is the domestic box office, mm-hmm. but in the worldwide box office, Signs was number 7. Holy shit. And the Two Towers was number 1. Mm. And then after Signs was My Big Fat Greek Wedding, Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, which we will be coming... We'll, we'll be doing an episode on this. Yes, and we um, will be, bring back Becky Crail. I don't know if she notes. Yeah. Like, we haven't mentioned it to her, but it's like, it's kind of assumed that, yeah, we're going to bring you on. Yeah, we should probably <laughs> get in touch with her. As the show's resident token expert. Yes. Uh, number seven, Austin Powers in Gold Member. Number eight, Men in Black 2. Number nine, Ice Age. And ten, A Beautiful Mind. Also coming out this year. Scooby-Doo, which I feel is very underrated. Mm -hmm. Uh, Die Another Day, Lilo and Stitch, Minority Report, which I love. Born Identity, 8 Mile, Panic Room, and uh, let's see, let's pick a random one. Drumline. I just can't, like Nick Cannon with his serious face drumming really hard. (laughs) This makes me laugh. Hey, man, he he drums like hell in that movie. (laughs) <laughs> and meanwhile now he's like wilding out it's just like a a career shift like i tried the serious dramatic roles i don't like it i'm going back to being fun <laughs> yeah well hey good for him good for him 
So this movie, I remember it being well-received, and according to Rotten Tomatoes, yes. it is. 74%, pretty good. Most of the major top critics gave it favorable reviews. 67% with audiences, so oh, good, good scores overall. Like, it's, I remember people really digging this movie. Like, I remember oh, yeah. people were talking about this. Like, oh, you gotta watch Signs. You gotta watch Signs. Signs is crazy. Signs is good. And then I watched it, and I was bored, but then I was also really scared. So I'm <laughs> I'm really curious. I think it's going to be fun. I really like this movie, and I liked The Village. I don't think it was as good, but I remember people really did not like The Village. Yeah. And I then I remember people hating everything that he did afterwards. And then people were, like, retroactively hating Signs, too. Yeah. And I'm like, wait, was Signs bad? I don't know. I And I'm... I feel like he made some bad movies, but he also made Signs, and Signs was cool. And don't and, forget, he made The Sixth, Sixth Sense. Sense. Yeah. Which I've never seen, but I know, I've heard really, really good. Oh, Sixth Sense is a classic. I don't I don't hear anyone talk shit about that movie. Everyone's like, that movie's great. So I'm, I'm kind of curious to see how the backlash has affected him, like M. Night Shyamalan. Mm-hmm. I'm curious to see how well uh, this movie's aged uh in general you know like is is it still do i still like this movie or is it just like i was a kid and i liked everything you know Mm -hmm. uh also kind of curious to see how mel gibson fits into this because mel gibson has had a very controversial past he's not i don't know he seems like a a troubled guy with some very problematic opinions absolutely Um, and i'm curious to see if this this movie came out after all of that or before like where does this fit in the mel gibson timeline (laughs) and if that changes when i watch this movie yeah well the tapes of him saying all the horrible things he did uh came out closer to this film than it did with mad max which we've talked about right mad max was so removed from that that it's like he might as well not even be the same person really because mad max was so before his career started he was really just starting Mm -hmm. out and Mad Max came out in when the eighties. Yes, you have almost twenty years of him being in Hollywood, being one of the biggest stars of the time. I mean, old people love Mel Gibson; they really do, because it was like, man, he was great in Braveheart and The Patriot, and like, you know, they always quote those. Uh, but now we're getting yeah. to the point. Oh, Mad Max was seventy nine. Oh, seven. Yeah, I think it state when it came to the states, it was nineteen eighty. Okay, I believe. But that's you know that's twenty. That's 22 years from him, from between Max, Mad Max, or, you know, 23 years between Mad Max and uh, Signs. So, mm-hmm. and Hollywood changes you, you know? If, when you're at the top of your game, people love you, you're some, you're one of the biggest stars in Hollywood, I that must have gotten to his head. And he was like, hey, I can't, I could do no wrong. And clearly, <laughs> he was wrong. Yeah. But, um... <laughs> I am curious to see kind of, yeah, like around that, like the whole Mel Gibson timeline. Where does that exactly fit in? And whether it changes my opinion of the film, because like for Mad Max, it, right. it might have not even been Mel Gibson. It was just, you know, some up and coming actor at the time. But now this yeah. is like Mel Gibson at the height of his power. You know, Science was a big hit. It's the fourth highest grossing domestic film of that year. And you're putting that up yeah. against Star Wars and spider-man like and harry potter and, harry- and lord of the rings yeah so <laughs> think about that he's up there with toby Maguire, up there with ewan mcgregor 
up there with Daniel Radcliffe but, and then Mel but Gibson. But those, those aren't – that's not just Tobey Maguire. That's Spider-Man. That's Spider-Man. You know? This is Mel Gibson playing a dad in Pennsylvania being attacked by aliens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's got no powers. He's not swinging. He's not the boy not, who lived. He's not. He doesn't have comic books or or freaking movies from the seventies that, or I guess he does has movie in the seventies. But you know what I mean. He's not a character that has existed before this movie. It's just Mel Gibson. Yeah. Well, that I mean, that kind of shows how good the film was, or how well it was received, and the star power that Mel Gibson had. You know that people. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, I'm sure word of mouth got out oh my god signs is amazing you got to go watch it i mean i heard that a lot but there i mean it had a big opening weekend you know and people went because hey it's mel gibson fuck it you know Mm -hmm. so yeah man i think there's gonna be a great episode really curious really ready to see kind of uh what we could get like how it's aged maybe and i'm sure we're gonna watch a nope i'm gonna watch a nope for sure so I'm absolutely I'm really curious to kind of now that you've brought it up, kind of compare and contrast like, wow, what what's changed in 20 years kind of in terms of this similar premise, but yeah. between two different filmmakers, different eras. You notice how they, they don't show the aliens at all. Yeah, yeah. They, they don't show the aliens on either side. Kind of like this movie. They don't really show the aliens. I wonder if it's going to be like an hour before you see the aliens or something crazy. Yeah, it. I mean. And if it's if it's good, like that, it was intentional and it works. You know, mm-hmm. that's fine. It, it's not a big deal if you don't see the alien. You know, you see the characters react to them, and if you're invested in the characters, that's all you need. It's great. Well, you need to build suspense, right? Mm-hmm. If you, because again, you could easily show the aliens in the very beginning, and that's like that's your secret weapon, or one of your secret yeah. weapons when you're dealing with aliens, right? What do they look like? People are always curious about that. What do these aliens look like? What's this interpretation? And whether it fits with the story or not, right? And that's one of the biggest, like, secret weapons a, a film has when dealing with aliens. So some some filmmakers will shoot their load early. <laughs> Jesus. And, and, and just, like, for the rest of the film, maybe there's no suspense. You're like, well, I don't really care. But M. Night Shyamalan, I, I'm curious to see how, when we start seeing the aliens. I don't think for a while... And I'm curious to see how that applies with Jordan Peele because Jordan Peele is really great with suspense and thrills. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is not worried about rushing his audience into the story. He wants to take his time, really set things up, build build on from there. So, and there's always like a, a story that's underneath that's like deeper, you know. Yeah. So this, so, I'm I'm excited. Great, great pick. Right the the twenty the twentieth anniversary of it, but also aligning with Nope which will be coming out, which came out actually uh, the week. The, so we're this episode's up on Sunday, but the previous Friday, the film came out. And we're going to, I mean, we're not t- going to talk about Nope in this, in the second part. But maybe on a future Patreon episode, we will. Yeah, absolutely. I love talking about these movies. And I like talking to you guys about films that are currently out. All right. That's all we have for now. We will be back in one minute. After seeing signs, see you in one minute. People break down into two groups. When they experience something lucky, group number one sees it as more than luck, more than coincidence. They see it as a sign, evidence that there is someone up there watching out for them. 
Group number two sees it as just pure luck. Happy turn of chance. I'm sure the people in group number two are looking at those 14 lights in a very suspicious way. For them, this situation is a 50-50. Could be bad. Could be good. See, what you have to ask yourself is what kind of person are you? Are you the kind that sees signs, sees miracles? Or do you believe that people just get lucky? Or look at the question this way. Is it possible that there are no coincidences? Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Retrograde Podcast. We just finished watching M. Night Shyamalan's Signs. Direct. Well, I already said it's M. Night Shyamalan's movie, <laughs> but uh, it, Mel Gibson's in it. Uh, you got Joaquin Phoenix, Abigail Breslin, Rory Culkin, and the man himself. Shyamalan has like a brief cameo. He um, cameos in a lot of his own movies. Yeah. It's a choice. It's a choice. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we just got back from watching it. And before we get into the spoilers, talking about the film, some of the stories behind it, we just like to give our thoughts generally. So in case you do want to revisit the film, you could kind of go in with... You know, not having this spoiled. So, Austin, how'd you feel about the movie? What are your general thoughts about it? I did not realize how much I like this movie. Like, I really like this movie. Uh, but there's parts of it that I don't like. Like, everything I like about the movie, I like a lot. And everything I don't like about the movie is, is like, it's okay. You know what I mean? Like, the things I don't like about it, I can, like, reconcile with my own interpretation of the movie. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. It's funnier than I remember it. <laughs> we spoke a little bit off camera, just a little bit. Just off general. mic. We're not video. We're not video yet. <laughs> off mic. If ever. I don't know. <laughs> it, it could be cool. It could be a fun thing to add in the future. Maybe um, on the Patreon episode. Yeah. Uh, but we were off mic a little bit and just talking about it. So I know kind of what you're referring to. Those aren't actually problems for me. In fact, I, I'll say I really like this movie. I don't have that many complaints, if any, really. I can't think of any. I mean, I think I, if I saw it again, maybe I would start seeing more stuff. I'm, I'm one of those people that needs to rewatch a movie multiple times to really start seeing its flaws, unless the flaws are very inherent from the very beginning. But this movie is so good, I really don't have problems with it. Like, my issues with it when I was younger, it was boring, which I don't think it's boring. <laughs> It's really entertaining. It's a lot funnier than I remember. Yeah. <laughs> a lot funnier. I think it's one of his funniest films. <laughs> uh, well, well, okay, okay, no, 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 no. I'll say that it's one of his intentionally funny films. Because The Happening is still, is very unintentionally hilarious. I don't know if, if that's true, if that's unintentionally hilarious. I feel like there was definitely some intent behind some of the comedy in that movie. Are those people killing themselves? You were with a private. What do we do? We need to do something. Hey, just let me think. They're <laughs> dying. I need a second. They released it? We're not near the road. We can't just stand here as the uninvolved observers. I need a second, okay? Just give me a second. We're not going to be one of those assholes on the news who watches a crime happen and not do something. We're not assholes. Just a second. There were children in that room. Elliot, please tell us what to do. I need a second, okay? Why can't anybody give me a goddamn second? Overall... 
I loved it. I dug it. It freaked me out. It's definitely worth rewatching, in my opinion, because there's a lot of value to it. And I think it has a very exciting finale that everything in the film kind of so good builds up to. I know there's like a huge big like people have like, oh, this is a plot hole. And I'm like, I don't see it's a plot hole because if you really look at it, like there's nothing. We'll, we'll, we'll get into it at the end, but I don't think there's a plot hole. I don't consider it a plot hole. I think the ending is really cathartic. It kind of it's the it's the conclusion of everything that the film's kind of been building up to. And yeah. the performances are great. I mean, I did a little bit of research into Mel Gibson just because he's mm-hmm. not like an actor of our generation. You know, he's the actor from my parents' generation. So I did a little bit of backing and man, Mel Gibson has done some shitty stuff. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Which we'll we'll slightly get into. Just I mean, because we talk about how things have aged. That's one of the things that for a lot of people has kind of kind of muddied the water with some of his past films. But for me, given all that, I still really enjoy the film, and I still enjoy the work that he does along with all the other actors because they're all working really well with each other. And I know stuff about the Mel Gibson, like things that he said, things that he's done. And it's it's very frustrating because I always feel like he's making a comeback in some way and I want to root for him. But at the same time, I'm like, come on, why do you make it so hard for me to like you? Well, everybody wants a comeback story. Everyone wants everybody wants an RDJ comeback story. Right. Where this guy was in deep trouble in jail. And now it's it's one thing to, you know, to be an addict and. And to like go through rehab and stuff, but like the the things that Mel Gibson has done have hurt people, you know. Oh, yeah. oh there's there's a lot to it too, and some people will attribute it to his alcoholism, with which is a real mm-hmm. issue, and I mean that could cloud yeah. your judgment. Um, but there, there, I mean, that's a complicated thing, you know, because Mel he's not a clean actor, like clean in the sense of like you know, like um. Rick Moranis? Yeah, he's no Rick Moranis, you know. No. Never done anything <laughs> wrong. Hollywood's angel. But he's no, like, Harvey Weinstein either. You know what I mean? It The, the waters get really muddled. Yeah. And it's... Yeah, it definitely. I, I think that there are some people who are like, this person should not work anymore. Like, they should... They should be in jail. Yeah, and they, there's some people who are like... Man, you have said and done some really shitty things. Get bats given bad circumstances. You know, I don't want to downplay mm. alcoholism. And I, I mean, I don't even know the first thing about it. So I can't even say, well, you just got to, you know what I mean? So I, I, mean, that, it, I don't want to. It is a disease and you should approach approach it with, with empathy, I think. Yes. And and I, that's why we're here to discuss this. Right. Yeah. And look, we're not solving anything. It's just it's just a discussion. I mean, movies are the actual entity itself, what they have within that runtime. But it's also the stories outside the making of what happened afterwards, all the people tied to it. Cause it's a, cause it's a group project kind of, you know? Yeah. So it's like what we said on the last episode where the, the actress for four months was like, it's not your film. It's not my film. It's, it's all of us. It's a collective thing. And that's why I don't feel, I, don't, I just wanted to say that. So people don't think like, Oh, we're harping on, on, on Mel just to, just to kick dirt in his face. It's like, no, we're, we, we would be talking about this with anyone. Cause it seems like it's a prominent thing with him. Right. Cause people have talked about, he was blacklisted. He's making a comeback. We're just trying to examine it. That's all it is. We, we, we're and not I trying think part of it, like knowing his reputation as like being a, uh, I guess you could say troubled, uh, actor 
it does kind of add some comedy to his performance in this film. His character aligns a lot with kind of like his beliefs in a weird way. Yeah. And it, it kind of makes it an interesting viewing. Because after a while, you mm-hmm. stop, you, you start thinking like, where does this character end and where does Mel begin? Because M- Mel yeah. is very Catholic. He's a, he's a mm-hmm. specific type of Catholic, set of a cantist. Okay. Traditionalist Catholic, right? And in mm-hmm. the film, he plays a father, right? Like not a not a dad father, but like an actual religious father figure, you know, a father. But he is also a dad in the movie. <laughs> yes, he is a father. He's a father in both sense. <laughs> And this movie actually has a few double entendres because he is a father, but he's also a religious father. You know, there are yeah. signs from aliens, but th- those could also be signs from something else, which we'll get into. The movie's really interesting. I'm I'm excited to talk about it. Um, and I recommend yeah. you guys watch it, too. It's really enjoyable. You can find it on Amazon Prime. I rented it through there. And it's not long either. It's very short. Very short. And it's definitely worth like the $2.99, $3.99 for the rental. Like. For mm-hmm. $3.99, you are definitely getting your money's worth. Um, I've even th- thought about like buying it, you know, having it in my actual personal Blu-ray collection. Cause I'm like, I would yeah. definitely love to revisit this in future future <laughs> years and like, you know, like kind of watch it with other people and be like, oh, do you remember this scene? <laughs> so definitely it sounds like both you and I recommend it. Yes. Perfect. So like now let's get into the story. All right, so this movie is about a family that lives on a farm, I guess corn farm. The dad, played by Mel Gibson, he's a former Episcopalian priest. His wife, the mother of his children, died tragically before the events of the film. He's living with his brother, who's moved in after the tragedy, uh, Merrill. Mel Gibson's character's name is Graham. He's living with his brother, Merrill, who used to be a minor league baseball player. But he he has records hitting really long distance home runs. But he also has a record striking out the most <laughs> in the entire league. Uh, he has a son, Morgan. Uh, his youngest is Bo. And she she has this reputation for leaving unfinished glasses of water around the house. <laughs> Uh, and Rory has asthma, and he's, like, trying to take care of his sister. The dad wakes up from a nightmare, and he's, he's like, looking for his kids, and he can't find them. And then he sees them, and he wakes up his brother, Merrill, and they go looking for the kids. They find them in the cornfield, but something's wrong. Oh, the dog notices the crop circles. That's right. Uh, so there's, there's these huge circles, like, uh, symbols cut into their corn crops you know like i don't know i don't know how to describe crop circles if you've never seen them before (laughs) um so he calls the police and he's like i think it's the troublemaker like pritchard's or something and he's like i think it's the pritchard's kids i don't care if he did it but i would like to know if he did because my kids are scared the kids notice something's wrong with the dog so they take him outside but the dog is now being aggressive and as the dad is talking to the cop, who's like one of my favorite characters, actually, she's talking about how things are, people are acting weird, animals are acting weird, something's happening. And then they, they go check on the kids and uh, Morgan has killed one of the dogs because it was trying to attack Bo. And he's really upset about it, but he does not want his dad to comfort him. So there's some like tension there. The next day, or that night, actually, um, they hear noises outside 
And so they go out and check and they see some somebody on the roof. And then they try to like scare the person off of the roof. They run around the house screaming and the person jumps over them and goes into the fields. You never really get a good look at whoever that was. Well, so you, did it. you forget the scene where Bo's like, there's someone standing outside my window. Can I have a glass of water? Yeah, that's part of it. <laughs> there's a monster in my outside my window. Can I have a glass of water? <laughs> and then he then Graham takes her to her room. He's like looking out the window and we see a shot of the alien, but super like it's nighttime yeah. and it's super slightly silhouetted. But you mm-hmm. know something's there. Yeah, because we know that there's aliens in this movie. Yeah. It's like, yeah, but it freaked me out, though. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's really fast. So they like go out and chase it and stuff. And then they call the, the police again. And she's like, uh, how do you know it was a man? And then oh, Meryl was like, God. well, I know it was a man because I'm pretty fast and I couldn't catch him. And she's like, well, they have Scandinavian women in the uh, in the Olympics. They're quick as the wind. And it's it's a funny scene. It's a hilarious scene. It's, uh, and it seems like that to add to the comedy. He's like, so yeah. you're saying that there's a seven foot Scandinavian woman running around in our cornfields. <laughs> the entire time the, the bow is, is like watching TV or something. And she's like. Same shows on every station. So they go and look and see that these crop circles have been happening worldwide. So it's more than just a prank, right? Because why why is everybody around the world doing it again? Officer Paskey, she's like, you know what? Get your mind off of things. You know, go into town. Get your mind on everyday things. It's good medicine. So they go into town. They all kind of split up. You see Meryl go and try to like join the the military or look at the the pamphlets and stuff. Graham is trying to pick up Morgan's acid medication, and the pharmacist is like scared about the world ending possibly because something's happening worldwide. She keeps calling him father, but he's like, "I'm not a father anymore. Don't call me that. My name's Graham." But everybody in the movie insists on calling him father. Um. So she's kind of like confessing to him and he's like, I just need the, I just need the meds. <laughs> the Morgan and Bo pick up a book on aliens. Um, and then they see a guy who sees the dad gets scared and he kind of drives away. Um, and he's, it's implied that he's the guy that killed their mother, but the kids don't really know that for sure. Dad's kind of see- secretive about it. They're at this point they've like stopped watching TV altogether. Graham goes out to feed the the dog and then he, he hears something. So he goes into the cornfield and he chases it and he assumes it's like some a troublemaker or something, like Pr- the Pritchards or whatever. But he sees a leg that does not look human and he's like, Alright, I think we gotta watch the TV and see what's what's happening. And on the TV you see like lights in the sky and they're recorded all over the world. So, like, there's strong evidence of aliens being out there. Mm-hmm. Meryl, Graham's brother, he's freaking. I was like, please tell me. Can we pretend like it used to be? Can you, like, comfort me? Do you think we're, the world is going to end? And then Graham gives his, like, well, there's, there's two kinds of people. Group one and group two. And group one are people who have faith. And group two are people who don't believe that there's someone out there watching over them and 
Meryl is comforted by this because he's like, okay, I'm in group one because I believe in miracles. I believe in signs. What group are you in, Graham? And <laughs> Graham's like, well, are you comforted? Then it doesn't matter what group I'm in because he's clearly in group two. Uh, so the next day, Graham gets a phone call. Oh, um, Ray. The, the, the scene with Ray. Yeah, Graham gets a phone call and he's like, it must be Ray, the guy that killed my wife. So he goes over to his house and he can't find him. And he finds him like, he finds him in his truck, like all packed up. There's blood on him. Um, and he's like getting ready to take off. And he, he tells Graham what happened, how like it, it was an accident where he killed uh, Graham's wife. Like he was working late. He fell asleep at the wheel. And at that moment, he hit um, Graham's, what, her name is uh, Colleen. I think he hit Colleen. He pinned her body against like a tree. So she was just alive uh, very briefly. When, and Graham basically got to say goodbye to her. He, he heard her like final words and then she died right then and there. Um, and he's, he's talking about how I don't think they like water. So I'm going to go by the lake. I trapped one in the pantry and then he just drives off. So you have Graham go into the, the house. At this point, he's still thinking that it could be a prank. He wants to believe that it's a prank. And he has a knife and he like tries to get a peek under the pantry door to see if you can see anything. At the same time, Meryl is like stuck in the closet watching the news. He's trying to protect the kids, but he's just like watching the news. Uh, and he, you get this the famous like Brazilian um, birthday party scare where you see the alien watching the kids at the birthday party. <laughs> um, and it you get a freeze frame, too. So like you can see, OK, that's an alien. And then Graham, he gets he sees the alien reach under the pantry to grab him. And he in a panic, like cuts off the fingers. And then he, he goes home, he rounds up the family who are all now wearing tinfoil hats, which is one of the funniest things in the movie. Um, they're trying to protect from the aliens being able to read their, their thoughts. I um, mean, he's like, all right, we're going to take a vote. We're going to go by the lake because they might not like water or we're all going to stay here. We're going to vote about this and it, whatever happens, it'll be okay because we'll all be together. And they do a vote and the, it's the girl, uh, Bo and um, Graham that want to go to the lake and the other two want to stay there. And then Graham's like, well... My vote counts as two. That's bullshit! You're cheating! Morgan, calm down. I get two votes because I represent two parents here. Eventually, Bo changes her vote, so they all stay in the house. They board up all the windows. Uh, and they forget the fucking dog, which pisses me off. But, you know... In 2002, I think people were more okay with killing off family pets than they are now. Mm-hmm. Um, but they they have like a last dinner. They cook whatever they want because they might not see tomorrow. Morgan wants a Graham to do a prayer. And he's like, I'm not wasting one more second of my life on prayer. It's a waste of time. And then he gets really angry and he starts to cry. And they all cry and they all hug. Because um, they've never really gotten over the death of the mom. They forget the dog. The dog, you can hear the dog get killed by the aliens and the aliens like surround the house or banging on the doors. They all hide in the basement. Graham forgot Morgan's medication and Morgan has an asthma attack down there and he tries to like 
get him to breathe with him. It's really uncomfortable to watch because um, they're they're stuck in this basement. The aliens are like trying to get in, and they they just sleep there that night. And then the next day, they they find they listen to the radio and they find out that the aliens have left because they found a weakness. But a lot of people died. The aliens had some kind of toxin or poison, and they're like taking people away. But Graham is like, oh. Okay, they're they're gone. All right, cool. I'm gonna bring my family upstairs, and I'll get uh, Morgan his medication. I'll, I'll move the TV from outside of the the closet to the main room, and in the reflection of the TV, you see the al- one of the aliens has now grabbed uh, Morgan, and then we he gets a flashback of his wife's like final words, and she tells it's a really emotional scene, but um, she says. Tells Graham to tell Morgan that it's okay to to dream and be silly. Uh, and tell Bo that her brother will always protect her. Tell Graham to see and tell Meryl to swing away. As he's like going back to this flashback, um, he tells Meryl... Swing away. Because Meryl was a baseball player and his home run record bat is sitting on the wall. So Meryl grabs the baseball bat and he starts to hit the alien. Uh, and the, but the alien gets off a little bit of poison in Morgan's uh, face, so he has to like rush Morgan outside and hit him with the EpiPen. Um, right? It's ep- I think it's EpiPen, whatever mm-hmm. it is, to revive him basically, like your last resort when you have had an asthma attack. Uh, and the alien bumps into some of the water that Bo has like left around the house, and his skin starts to burn. So they figure out, oh, water is the, their weakness. So Meryl just starts swinging at the glasses of water. and Eventually a glass falls on the alien's head and it kills it. He runs outside to check on Morgan. And Morgan's okay. He made it. Did somebody save us, he says. And uh, Graham says, yes, I think somebody did. And then uh, the movie's over. Graham becomes a priest again at the very, the very last shot is him putting on his collar and going to to work i guess it's a very um contained movie yeah for an alien invasion like you only see it from the family's perspective if we're getting into what makes this movie good i think that's one of the biggest points absolutely because again we've done alien invasion movies before we've done at least two of them i believe little shop of horrors and independence day usually you'll have scenes like president in the conference room and then you get it from all these types of angles a lot independence <laughs> yeah. day or at the very end you see just if you're talking about the director's cut of little shop of horrors you get the actual attack and you see it in all its horrific glory right mm-hmm. um this movie doesn't do that Nope. You know, it ha- it follows all the same beats that those movies have, but it doesn't it really stays from the perspective of the family and kind of what they're dealing with on a daily basis. You don't see yeah. an armada. You don't see the ships, you don't see the aliens actually attack and kill people because I think in other pe- in another director's hand, they would have wanted to show that, you know. Absolutely. But the climax of this movie literally takes place in the living room of their house, in the basement and living room. That's intense. That's that's claustrophobic, and that is personal. So personal. I, I think that's what makes the movie so good, because I guess this movie came out in 2002, right? Mm-hmm. And they actually started filming 
the day after 9-11. They were supposed to film. They were supposed to start filming 9-11 on 9-11. And then they put, pushed it the day afterwards. Yeah. So you have like this huge national tragedy happen. And when that when stuff like that happens, like when COVID happened, people turned to their families. You know, mm-hmm. they didn't they, they didn't um, really listen to the president at the time. You know, mm-hmm. we, we clung to to our families. And I, I feel like that's what this movie gets right. Like, I, I think the this event, because it seems like a world changing thing that's happening, you know, it it brought this family closer. And I think that that's something that's very relatable to people with families well, with good families anyway. If you want like a grand alien invasion movie, I don't think there's a better choice than Independence Day. Or, or there might be, but, you know, I'm. I'm privy towards Independence Day, and I think that movie does a really solid job. It's an ensemble cast, and you follow all these different characters. This is on the opposite end, where it's really there's really only four main characters and a supporting character, which is a cop. But that's about it. You're really with the four characters at all times, or you're always following them and seeing what they're doing. Like Bo and uh, and and what's his name? Um, Morgan. Morgan are like reading a book for a large part of it. Like they're at a bookstore they're reading a book they're like watching tv like this is not hollywood set pieces you know what i mean they're watching no. <laughs> they're watching what other directors would consider the hot the the set pieces right which is like the ships yeah. over mexico city um like like a uh, ray capturing the alien you know i could imagine a whole scene where like a director would be like all right ray we're gonna cut we're gonna cut the move, move the story to ray and his confrontation with the alien and you know we're gonna how he traps it in the pantry, but that's not the case at all. We don't even know how Ray tricked the alien into the pantry. We don't know how. We never find. We just out. saw that there was some kind of a, a scuffle because Ray is bleeding, mm-hmm. and there's like a chair that's like knocked over with all these papers everywhere. Yeah, there's like knives out and stuff like that, but we don't get to see that, and that's because this movie is committed to staying with the family. The perspective is from their eyes. And M. Night stays with them. And I think it's that dedication. It makes the story relatable. It also makes it, in a weird way, realistic. Because if there was an alien invasion, this is how most of us would see it. We wouldn't be a fly on the wall in the White House. Or we wouldn't know what anyone else is doing. Right? We're not with the professionals that would be dealing with this. We would be in our homes trying to figure out what's the next move. And we would be, you know, scared, nervous, in in uh in Graham's Mel Gibson situation, just trying to keep everyone calm or just trying to pretend that it isn't real, that this isn't a real thing. It makes it vaguely realistic. And yes. the way it's shot too, you know, it's pretty like naturalistic lighting. It, you know, it, it looks good, but it doesn't look like some, you know, Blade Runner S cinematography. It looks grounded. Everything looks real. And it's like it really gives the sense that wow, this is what it would feel like, you know, if this was a, if this was happening. And they, they, they do everything with it. They're like, we're going into the town. How do the children feel? How does the brother feel? Like, everyone's feeling all these different things. And I think that's the biggest strong suit that this movie has. It's that perspective. It's why I don't like a lot of the, the big disaster movies or the big alien invasion movies, because you see all these different characters. And I'm like, I don't really care about these people. But I care about the family in this movie. You know, I, I feel like uh, they seem like real people, mm-hmm. you know, Meryl uh, being like, I feel like he's the like, if you think of the 
the definition of himbo, it's Meryl in this movie. <laughs> he's so he's so dumb, but he's he's trying, I guess. You know, he's there's that part where they're trying to like tape with the alien invasion, and Morgan's like, "We're watching the history of the world. We need to record this so we can tell our kids about what happened." And he has to like find a, a tape, and he has Bo's recital tape, and she's like, "Find another tape." <laughs> so he's like uncle merrill i'm using your tape and it's like swimsuit special or something. <laughs> yeah and when they're, they're talking about miracles and he's like i believe in miracles because there was this time where i was at a party and i was about to kiss this girl but i had gum in my mouth and if i didn't take out the gum she would have thrown up on me that's a miracle <laughs> but oh that's incredible and Meryl is so funny. He's great. And just the little things that he does. I, I was laughing when he's watching the Brazilian thing and he's the, the tape yeah. and he's like, move children, vamanos. <laughs> I just, I was dying. I was laughing because I thought that was so funny, but it's in line with his character too. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a real guy there. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Even though he doesn't know that in Brazil, you, they speak Portuguese, not Spanish, but, yeah. but, but, but most, <laughs> a lot of people don't know that. So it's, mm. I thought it was so in line. I loved his character. And that's a good point. All the characters are really well-defined. They feel like real people, right? Yeah. And like, even, even their acting, like, Mal mm -hmm. isn't really doing like a Daniel Day Lewis Lincoln impression, you know? <laughs> like, like you know when the I feel like we always go to that Daniel Day Lewis. Hmm? We always go to that. Like, he's not doing a Daniel Day Lewis thing. <laughs> well, you, well, like you know when they're presenting the Oscars and they have that clip, and then the Os and then the actors like giving the belting out their monologue, and they got snot yeah. running down their nose, and like their eyes are watering. I lived for this, <laughs> you know. Mel's not doing all that. He is very, very toned down. Almost to the point where you could argue, like, is he even showing emotion? But it's there. It's and, like, there. It's, that's why he's such a I feel like he's such a strong... The, the acting is going to be so good. Because yeah. they're acting like regular people. But, but, and they're emoting without speaking what their thoughts are. Because I feel... I don't know if it's just my family. But when stuff happens, we don't really talk about it. Mm -hmm. You know? But we'll, like vaguely refer to it i guess mm -hmm. i don't know well that there's there's a certain way that families communicate with each other right because yeah. it's like i know that you know but i'm pissed off because you're pretending that you didn't know and that gets me angry right like there's a weird there's a weird relationship so when you're acting when you're not family but you're acting like you are family you got to get those little nuances down and mm -hmm. but you also don't want to overact it and that monologue that right. mel gives you know the one about the the groups He's reading that very straightforward. And you could almost say it's stoic, but it's not because he's not reading it like Spock. He's reading it like right. a guy that is like he's angry. He, he, yes. I wanted to say there was a hidden rage to, to Graham, to Mel Gibson. Oh, absolutely. There's a hidden rage. I never told you the last words that Colleen said before they let her die. She said, see, and her eyes glazed a bit, and then she said, swing away. You know why she said that? Because the nerve endings in her brain were firing as she died, and some random memory of us at one of your baseball games just popped into her head. 
There's no one watching out for us, Meryl. We are all on our own. Like, he doesn't, like, will do... He, he won't go into outbursts randomly. I mean, the mm-hmm. biggest moment where he does collapse is in the dinner scene at the very end. And that's because they really think they're not going to make it until the morning. And he has lost faith and he has lost his wife and he feels like he has lost his children or losing them at least, you know, mm-hmm. and that he has nothing to rely on. And it doesn't come out that hidden rage doesn't come out with him flipping the table table over and throwing a bunch of shit and shouting and stuff. It comes when he breaks down and starts crying. That's, and that's eating the rage. while he's yeah. crying. Yeah, it, that. but that's so like. Like, that seems very human, you know? Like, he's just very, he's trying yeah. to keep his composure. He's trying to go back to things. He's trying to go to the way things were. You know, he's trying to pretend like nothing's happening, but he can't. And that rage is pouring out of him. But he's crying. It's it's tears. And I was mm-hmm. like, holy shit, you know? It's such I, a great scene because it's, like, emotional, but it's also kind of funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is what I wasn't expecting from this. I wasn't expecting that 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 kind of scene. And I know, like, in the ad that we posted on our retrograde, like, we kind of poke fun at Mel Gibson a little bit, slightly. Because it's like, how is he going to compare to Daniel Radcliffe and Peter Parker and stuff like that? But he's, he's, he's doing a great job. And the character is very well written to the point where, yeah, that scene, him eating and crying, should on paper be kind of funny and weird. But... Given the context of the film, it's kind of heartbreaking because he doesn't think he's going to make it. I, I think it's all of the above. Yeah, it's, it is weird. It is funny, but it's also very emotional. Well, like I was watching it with with Leanna and we were both like kind of tearing up and laughing at the same time. And he like grabs uh, Meryl and pulls him in for the hug. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and I think and that's another point that I like about the movie. It's all of these genres. And it's all of these different tones simultaneously, and it cuts between them very smoothly. And mm. it's because you know you'll have those movies that have that one tone and they stay with it the entire time, which is fine. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, right? Mm-hmm. But then you have those movies that will be funny but also sad and suspenseful. You know, like a like a Spider-Man two. You're intrigued. You're on the edge of your seat. You're kind of scared. There are multiple jump scares in this movie that freaked me the fuck out. But you're also laughing, but it's not a funny that like like the Marvel where it's like the quippy, you know, where it's like what they broke up like the Beatles, you know, like that's a, that's a funny line. <laughs> like that's a, that's a funny joke. I, I laughed at that. I still do. But that's oh a quippy line. But the comedy here isn't that the comedy is uh, Mel Gibson crying, holding his son and then grabbing Joaquin, his brother and pulling him in. Joaquin <laughs> saying stuff like Vamanos children. Um, or it seemed like walking home and seeing his kids and they're looking at him with tinfoil hats on their heads, like, yeah. like that's normal. Yeah, it, it's and- it's very it's very it's very um dry. Yes, very that, that's a good way to describe it. It's very dry, but it's but it's funny. Oh my god, the scene very where funny. the where the pharmacist is kind of confessing all their sins. On paper, <laughs> on paper. That could be a really sad scene because you have someone who really believes it's the end of the world and they're just pouring everything out there. But the way they do it in the movie, it's like, yeah, so I've said curse words and I've kissed this guy, but I did it for the right reason. And it's like, it's funny. <laughs> oh, the people in the the people in the town, like the pharmacist, <laughs> the military guy, 
There's oh my god, something. he's like he reminds me so much of Bill Hader. Yes. <laughs> oh my god, but it's so it's so funny, and he's like, you know, they're checking, they're probing us, <laughs> trying to check our defenses. Like the way he talks, the way he like has his hands and stuff, and like he ends every sentence with his mouth open a little bit. <laughs> it's called probing. It's a military procedure. You send out a reconnaissance group, very small, check things out. Not to engage, but to evaluate the situation, evaluate the level of danger, make sure things are all clear. Clear for what? For the rest of them. You're a marrow, aren't you? You're the guy that hit that really, it's, it's just funny. That thing had a motor on it. This movie is a lot funnier than I realized. I was oh laughing. Oh my god, it's so times. funny! Yeah, I think and one of the 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 best jokes comes from uh, if you know a little bit about Mel Gibson, because uh, right before they're going out to chase the the person on the roof, right? He's like, "All right, we're gonna go run out there, act all crazy and stuff." And he's like, "Crazy and stuff? What do you mean?" <laughs> and, and he's like, "You know, like scream curses and and stuff." And <laughs> Mel Gibson's like, curses, that won't be very believable for me. <laughs> <laughs> That's something that hasn't aged well. But that scene is so funny. And he's like, and once they actually do the... Because they're ra- running outside because they think it's a trespasser. And they're, they're going to, yeah. like, you know... Like they're a, gonna... a, a child or, or a teenager that might be scared by grown men yelling at them. Telling yeah. them that they're in for an ass whooping. <laughs> yeah, and Mel Gibson's like, ah, I'm crazy. Ah, I'm insane with anger. And the whole Scandinavian woman thing. They're giving a really bad description of the person on the roof. And she's like, you don't know anything about this guy. You don't even know if it was a guy. And Meryl is hung up on the fact that it has to be a guy because they were faster than me. <laughs> yeah. And it's so funny because she's like, I don't appreciate the sarcasm. And it's just, <laughs> it's great. It's funny. It's cute. It's suspenseful. It's scary. It's all these different things. And so, and I think it's those two things. For, that that for me make this a great movie. It's telling it from a realistic standpoint, right? It still mm. has the bravado of like Hollywood pictures, but it's telling it very in a very cont- self-contained story, or it's focused from that single perspective, which makes it a lot more relatable. And the fact that yeah. it's juggling all these tones, but doing it well, it doesn't feel like when the comedy yeah. hits, it doesn't feel out of place. It mm-hmm. feels right at home, but but very easily. You go from comedy to something scary instantly. And it kind of, it makes it very entertaining because you don't know what's coming next. As a viewer, you're like, what's going to happen next? You don't know. You might laugh or you might pee your pants. There's that, that part where they're looking at the, the book of the aliens, like what could happen if aliens invade. Mm-hmm. And they see this house that looks a lot like their house. Oh my God. That freaked <laughs> me the fuck out. I mean, let's talk about, let's talk about the scary scenes. Um, scary scenes yeah let's talk about that one that one is is pretty scary but their reaction to it it makes it made me laugh they're like huh don't you think that looks a little bit like our house (laughs) the windows and then like the they're like looking at the rest of the image and you see like the three bodies and (laughs) oh my god that freaked me the fuck out Uh, i wasn't laughing i was scared I was dying. That was so funny. I was freaked out. And with the bodies too, I was like, eh, that looks like our house. And I was like, oh my God. 
And like you could tell one of the figures was an adult person, right? Mm-hmm. And the other two were like small, so they were the kids. Yeah. <laughs> It freaked me out, man. It's just it was ominous leading know, up I to th- it. I oh, I freaked me out. Sometimes, like my reaction to like the scary stuff is to laugh. That one was it was just entertaining. I don't know how else to describe it. It's very entertaining. Yeah, but man, um, like I mean, this movie has a lot of. It has a few jump scares. It has the mm-hmm. well. Let's talk about the first one because it's uh, Bo goes up to his bed and she's like, "There's an there's something." There's a monster hanging outside my window. Can I grab, grab a glass of water? And then he goes to it, <laughs> which is already like a funny thing, like a weird thing to say. It's kind of funny. It's just how kids are, though. They're, oh, they are. Like yeah. One thought to the next. <laughs> and then he takes her to her bed. Right. And he's like trying to comfort her. And he looks out the window and then you see the alien like just slightly silhouetted. It's one of those things where it's like negligible, but, you know, it's there. And that's what freaks you out. And it's just like it comes out of nowhere. And you're like. Fuck! It, it freaked me out because because at first I was like, "There's something there," but I'm not 100 percent sure. Am I seeing something? And I think that movie does that a lot, where it's like, "Did I see something?" Okay, I'm pretty sure I saw something, and it does it um, when Mel when Mel is out in the cornfield, right? Yeah. And he sees the foot. The foot. The, what I love about when it's when it's on the roof, it's because the alien is standing there, like, "Oh shit! Did he just see me?" <laughs> Oh, it, it oh, fucked me. I, and nothing good ever happens in cornfields, man. Nothing good ever happens in cornfields. Um, they don't, uh, like, overdo it with the cornfield, too. Cause they I, don't. I think there's this one horror movie where, where, like, it all takes place in the cornfield. And it's like, all right, you're doing too much. There's, there's like, a time travel thing. Uh, the guy from uh, the Conjuring movies is in it. it but they're just, do, they're just running through the corn for, like... 70% of the movie. And I'm like, this is boring. <laughs> but oh. in this in this movie, it's used like in two scenes, pretty much. In the very beginning, mm-hmm. and then when Mel is when uh, Graham is by himself with a flashlight and he sees the foot. Yeah. And he and he loses. And that scene was intense. Cause you know something's there. You're like, oh, all right, it's gonna happen. And then the foot pops out. It's like, oh yeah. I'll stand by this. Nothing good ever happens in cornfields. Left or dead <laughs> taught me that. The sixth Harry Potter film taught me that. Children of the corn. Children of the corn. Fuck it. I don't need corn. <laughs> Just abandon. High not- fructose short corn syrup. Not for me. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of people say that this next one is the best jump scare in in history. Or one of the best. Which is oh. the VHS tape one. <laughs> I don't know if it's the best because I'm still dipping my toes in horror films. But... I mean, I watched this movie in Memorable. 2002. Memorable. I and I still remember it to this day. And it freaked me the fuck out. It goes into the like the found footage genre a little bit because you're seeing it from the perspective of, of this guy who has a camcorder who is filming his kid's birthday party. Yeah. So you see all these kids that are freaking out and the camera isn't still. It's like moving around a little bit. It lends it to that realism, a different yes, type of realism, yeah. a, a different mm-hmm. type of realism. But it's still realistic. Yeah, I think that's why why uh, found footage movies uh, are so successful in in creating the atmosphere. Like you don't recognize these actors. The camera isn't moving like a movie camera is. It's moving like how you would move a camera if mm-hmm. you were filming stuff. That's why Blair Witch was great. Paranormal mm-hmm. Activity, Signs kind of leans into that. 
like Man. just dips its toe into it for a really great scare. It's incredible. And like you see the creature for a second, but it's scary. And the fact that it looks at you and it like stares for a second, but it continues walking. You're like, where did it go? It's like the spider. It's like the spider in your room. You know, it's like you look away for a second and it's gone. It's like, where the fuck is it? And you get a, a glimpse of like the alien is actually looking at them for longer than you think it is. You just see it when it moves. But when they played it back, it's like, oh, the alien is actually there for a lot longer because <laughs> yeah. he, he has that like camouflage power. Yeah, which is an interesting thing. It, it, we see that at the end of the film when he's holding uh, Morgan, that the aliens have like that pattern. So you're now now what I'm thinking is, fuck, because they can they can blend into their environments. How many times have we actually seen them, but just not actually noticed them? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Probably blended yeah. in with the corn. The, that 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 one creature, that one alien in the tape, blended into that green plant or whatever, right next to it. Mm-hmm. And at uh, the very end, we see the hand blending into like the that like the shoot. Yeah, yeah, I, lo- I love that because I remember when we would watch that on DVD, like when I was uh, living at home, we would rewind it to that scene to see if we could see the alien's hand before it moved, and like it's it's there. Yeah, but and I but, was looking for it when I saw it this time. I, I forgot it was there. I didn't even know it. And so when it grabs Morgan, I was like, holy shit. What's so good about that one is like that scene is only lit with the flashlights. Mm-hmm. Right. So as soon as the alien's hand moves, they drop the flashlight. So we can't see what's happening. We just you hear, hear it. it. You're hearing you're hearing them. Oh, where is he? Oh, you, you know, and mm-hmm. it makes that scene so much scarier. We missed a scare when uh, the alien's in the pantry and he uses mm. a knife to to get a, the reflection. Yeah, and what's interesting about that one, it's, I forgot the order. If it's that one first and then the VHS one. I think they happen at the same time. Because they're because... cutting back and forth. They're intercutting those two scenes. And so you're, like, they're happening. It's like those two events are happening simultaneously. Mel is looking into the pantry. Right. Joaquin's watching the TV where you get the Brazilian party. So mm-hmm. I, I can't remember exactly which one happens first, but it is like a buildup. Of- you see the alien on the on the TV first. Okay. Because then you know, oh, they're they're real. Mm-hmm. Like they have them on video. These things are real. So that thing in the pantry with Graham, a character that we are invested in, who is under the impression that it could be some some hooligans pulling an elaborate prank right because he's like talking to it through the door like we have all your friends in the paddy wagon (laughs) talking about comedy (laughs) um and then he's like he's checking with the knife to see anything he wants to see somebody in the pantry he can't see anything puts the knife down walks away and then he comes back grabs the knife and is going to do the same peak so we expect it to be the same shot, like the reflection from the knife, right? Mm-hmm. But instead of getting that, we have the alien just reaching out from under the door. And, it's, and the it hand. Takes you, yeah, it takes you off guard. Yeah, and, and when he cuts it, when he, when he cuts the fingers off and you hear that scream. Yeah. Ooh, it's, it's intense. Like that entire scene is like built up tension. You know, it's like the, the rubber band effect, which we've, we've talked about before. Boom, suspenseful, super tense, and and that launches us into the third act. 
where it's like, okay, these are real, they're dangerous, um, and the world knows about it. So what are we doing now? I love that entire scene. I, I thought it was it was so good. Great. Just the, the way he directed it and having them both take place at the same time. Because it's a one-two pow. And, yeah. and you're shaking. I, and and what he does masterful is after that, you're scared, right? Mm-hmm. He he lightens the mood by having this conversation as to what do we do? Do we go by the lake or do we stay at the house? And that's where he pulls. Well, I'm voting to I have two votes because I'm voting for your mother. There's no rubber band. Don't worry. This isn't a tense scene. I'm not fucking with you guys. I'm gonna give you a break. And then we go into the final act where the aliens are starting like they're, they're breaking their way into the house. We see the hand, the fingers, the hand go under the door. They're in the basement. One of the aliens grabs Morgan. Oh, it's it's just the way he transitioned is so smooth. And he's using all these different tones to blend them in. And it, it puts us in a great spot for that final I, act. I feel like there's a lot of things that happen in this movie that are all like related to each other. Right. Like at the very beginning, when they know that the dogs are upset, he's like, oh, I'm going to go call Dr. So-and-so. And it's like, well, he doesn't treat animals. And then Graham's like, well, he'll know what to do. It's just like kind of a, a thing. It was like, OK, that was weird, but yeah. we're, we're moving on. And you find out at the end, or I guess the middle, when he goes to see Ray, Ray is the town veterinarian. Yeah. Did you notice that? I I didn't notice it, but now that you <laughs> mentioned it, that's uh, why he yeah. that's why he didn't want the he didn't want the man who killed his wife in their house treating his dog. Yeah. And there is a lack of they haven't really talked about what happened to the mom in a way that was satisfactory to anybody, right? Because mm-hmm. Bo doesn't know who Ray is at all. And uh, when you see him, in, when they go to town, they see Ray and then he drives off. Bo doesn't know who he is at all. Yeah. And Morgan is unsure if that's him. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like this thing that has happened to the family that they are too afraid to talk about. Yeah, and what was so weird about that was like that there's a weird there's a guy that's acting weird. Right. Mm-hmm. And then we get the shot of M Knight. And I was yeah. like I was like, wait, what's happening? I don't get this. And I at first I thought, is this a racial thing? <laughs> <laughs> I was just it was so weird. It was so out of cup because I didn't remember. And I was like, wait, mm-hmm. what what is it? Like there's something weird happening here. And then you get the scene with Mel and Ray, and it's like, oh, 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 and then that's when you start putting it together. Do the kids know? And and not really. No, and but that's been playing out the the entire time. You feel like the, the their relationship has been struggling that they're not being open and honest mm-hmm. with each other. Yeah, there's that that uh, gesture that the Morgan has when uh, Graham puts his hand on his son uh, when they he had to kill the dog and. Morgan like moves his moves himself away mm-hmm. like don't touch me you know Damn. there's that that part where he's the kids are with their uncle and he's like I wish you were my dad yeah and Meryl's like oh don't don't ever say that that's yeah. that's a terrible thing to say yeah it, there's like a lot of story there with not a lot of dialogue yeah um, well, and I and- think that it's it works to the the film's benefit Absolutely. I think it does. And it kind of leaves little breadcrumbs. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we're putting the pieces together. And by the end of the film, we see the entire picture. 
Like, we see everything. We understand it. And we might have missed a few things here and there, but you still get enough of it. You understand, in the very beginning, this family's not in the great shape. There's something weird about them. And as the film goes on, you find you find out about it. Because it would have sucked. I mean, having it all revealed in the very beginning, when my wife died six months ago, when Ray, the vet, hit her with that car. You know, <laughs> that, that was a real shame. And the kids and I have not been able to reconcile with our feelings about that. Gee golly. Whoa, aliens. You know, it, it's kind of like, it. that doesn't feel natural. This felt no. natural. And it's it's what you were saying. Families don't talk about that stuff all the time. Okay, that makes me feel better because I'm like, I hope it's not just my family that does that. No, 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 Maybe. no, 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 no. It's a family. It's It happens way more often than you think. Where it people, happens in groups of friends, too. Oh, yeah, where there's something there, but nobody wants to bring it up. I yeah. have... I have experienced that many times. <laughs> yeah, it it lends to that. And by the end of the film, you get a full picture of the family and, and the story. Yeah, the, the leaving breadcrumbs everywhere, it makes it more entertaining to watch. And I, I think it, it makes re- repeat viewings better. Because mm-hmm. the first time I watched this movie, I didn't notice the hand thing. I didn't notice the, the fact that Ray was a vet, you know? Mm-hmm. The asthma thing, I feel like I should have noticed that earlier, but I didn't really pick up on it, I guess. Well, I and that kind of moves into something I wanted to talk about. I did want to talk about the ending. Well, let's talk about the ending. Uh, one one thing that I really like about the ending is that all the little breadcrumbs, all the little things that we were introduced to and hinted at, and the mystery behind the wife's death, what actually happened to her, everything comes back. In, in like this very like what five minute sequence mm-hmm. I want to say like how Meryl moved the TV away from the kids to protect them but he's just sitting in the closet like watching nonstop, you know mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that that comes into play at this scene the fact that every time the family watches TV and we see the TV we see the reflection of the family in the TV Mm-hmm. Bo's aversion to finishing glasses of water. That plays a big thing into it. The asthma comes back. Meryl's brief career in baseball comes back. Yeah. Every little thing comes back in this very short scene, pretty much. Yeah. And it almost reminds me of like uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, I was going to say that too. <laughs> <laughs> the flamethrower. Yeah. It all comes back into it. And and that's what I like. It's the setup and payoff, which we've talked about before. We talked about it with the 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 the, the Russian movie. Um, Four months. No, 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 that's not Russian. The Beast. The Beast, right? Where they they've set up this whole thing and it pays up at it pays off at the end. And yeah. that's what he was doing. The great thing is we didn't notice that. It's like okay, so Merrill's like a minor league baseball guy. Okay, cool. That's a fun little detail. It's what saves them. The water thing. <laughs> It's not just a weird habit. Like it's, I'm not trying to throw shade at Leanna, but you know, <laughs> but it's a, but it's, you know, it's a habit that saves, that ultimately saves them. And the asthma, you know, uh, is something that they considered to be kind of like something that could handicap um, Morgan, but it turns out to be what saves him when the alien puts the gas yeah, right next like, to him. I guess if he- your airwaves are constricted, um, maybe some weird alien gas might not get all the way through. 
Yeah. <laughs> and and they said that a lot of people died because of the gas. A lot of people died during that invasion. In, in, invasion. You don't even know if they died because of the gas, but a lot of people died. Yeah. Well, that's that's a good point. We don't know how they died. But mm-hmm. it it kind of it's everything that happened. Uh everything that was set up comes back here. So there you feel even more like, "Oh, oh there it is. There's that thing." Like, "Oh, it's, it mm-hmm. it makes it cathartic." And Yeah. It kind of leads into um, why I like the movie, but it, and I think I, I kind of know your fault with it, and we could mm-hmm. talk about that. We could start talking about that a little bit. Uh, well, I I'm not someone who likes faith based films, you know, um, because I I feel like it's it only applies to or it's only relatable to you if you share the same faith, right? That's what my problem is. Um, and I, I don't, I don't believe in everything happens for a reason. I don't believe in that. Uh, I'm not a very spiritual person. I don't do the whole astrology thing. Like if it's fun for you, that's fine. But don't think I'm a piece of shit because I'm an Aries. Oh, know? that's a very Aries thing of you to say. <laughs> like I'm not into all of that, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I, I guess by those qualities about me, then I would, I would go into grams uh a group too but what i do believe in and i i how i reconcile my feelings about the end of the movie you know the end being graham gets his faith back and everything did happen for a reason mm-hmm. i don't believe that there is a higher power but i do believe that the communities that we build uh between our our friends and family and, and all those people i do believe that if you have like a good community, they will help you. You know, you're not, I don't believe that we're alone because we have people that love us. Uh, I, I feel like everybody has someone that loves them and everybody might have someone that will take care of them, even though it's, it might not seem that it is that way. You know, uh, that's, that's what I believe. And at the end of the movie, it is the family that he had, all along that saves them you know mm-hmm. it's the family that he didn't see the one that he just tried to protect and not like actually be there for i feel like there's a lot of shots in this movie where graham is kind of away from his family like he wants to protect them but he's also grown very distant with them and by the end of the movie i think he does see them you know i think he does try to be their dad again does that make sense yeah, it does. You Jesus hater. No, I'm just I'm fucking with you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I do get what you're saying. I will say that is where I do slightly disagree. Um, I'm not particularly religious myself. I mean, I was raised Catholic. Um, I was an altar boy for like years, years. I wouldn't say I'm particularly religious, but I wouldn't say I'm not either. If I was on a plane and the place started to go down, you bet your ass I'm gonna start praying. Because <laughs> I think deep down there is still some something about that whole thing where I, I don't think I think about religion too much, but I do acknowledge that there's a part of me that's like, God's cool. Like, I wish God was real or if he is like, you know what I mean? Where I don't like denounce him or not denounce him, but I don't like say that he doesn't exist. exist you know what I mean? It's that weird, like middle ground. Mm-hmm. And I I've never been able to really pinpoint exactly where I stand 
just because it's a weird thing for me. Like, I just, I, I don't know. And I've been, I'm fine with keeping it at, I don't know. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's mm-hmm. just some things don't need to be thought about too deeply, in my opinion, or at least not yet. Right. I'm, I'm not at the point where I'm like, I need to decide how I feel about this pronto, you know, personally. Um, but there was something really nice about seeing this guy who had lost his faith kind of interpret this guy who was in category two or in group two kind of kind of reading these signs hold on these fucking bikes yes janet life's pretty cheap for that type uh this 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 ex-father you know this priest or or whatever seeing these signs seeing the baseball bat his dying wife's Last words being swing Merrill, swing away Merrill. You know, the daughter's water infatuation with glasses of water. Uh, you know, his son's asthma. Like he sees these as signs. This is what he's been looking for. And he kind of regains that faith. I thought that was kind of beautiful. I thought that was like a neat thing. Um, you know, especially because it's so religious based, you know, or at least he's very religious based. If that makes sense, Mm -hmm. if that if it wasn't something that had been introduced, like if he hadn't been a father, he was just a regular farmer. Well, it would have felt a little out of left field, but this is the story about a father who saw something really that something bad happened to him. And he does what a lot of people do. Why me? Why do you do this? God, right? Why Mm -hmm. do you kill who I loved if you're supposed to be all powerful, all good? Um, and it's him going through that kind of th- those thoughts. And by the end of the film, he chooses to see everything as like everything's been set up like like destiny. Right. Which even in that, I don't even really know where I stand with destiny and free choice. Like I don't even really it's not something that I think about on an active basis because it doesn't because to me, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I believe in destiny or not. If my destiny is to be that, then I'll get there. And if I have free choice, then whatever choice I make, I'll get there. It doesn't, to me, it doesn't matter. But it does feel kind of nice. In the moment, watching this film, it, it, it feels nice seeing everything that was set up all along. And it's almost like, for a moment, at least watching it, it's like, oh, shit. God is watching him and God's taking care of him <laughs> and God is M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When it, you when you when you write a movie, you are the god of that universe. Yeah. So whatever you want to happen will happen. <laughs> yeah. And and I I think in a in a religiously romantic sense, you know, I I mm. enjoyed it. Now, I'm not I'm not trying to denounce what you're saying because I think what you're tr- or maybe I'm misreading it, but the way I could see someone critiquing that in my words, in my words, you're not saying it is it could kind of come off as a little corny, right? Let's not beat around the bush. Sometimes when people are talking about religion or filming it or writing about it, it can tend to be a little bit corny, yeah. you know, which is fine. You know, corny isn't bad. Corny is not inherently a bad thing, but it could, but it could take you out of the experience where you're just like, yeah. Oh, Oh, okay. This is that point where you're going to preach to me about God and all that, and like how he's great. Yeah. And, and, and it, 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 it doesn't kind of... really do that. I feel like what saves them is his family and all the weird things that make them his family. Yeah. Does that make well, sense? So, so like a secular person can, can watch this movie and see that 
mm-hmm. and appreciate that. And but I think also someone who's really religious can see that and feel like, oh, the God is looking out for them, like you just said. Yeah. So I feel like that's why I can be a secular person and love this movie. And why Christians, there are a lot of them, Catholics too, that love this movie. Mm-hmm. Like there are Christian sites with articles dedicated to this movie. I've read yep. a few of them. <laughs> it it could be viewed from both those angles. And and what I will say is it doesn't sound like it was corny enough. It's just one of those things where it's like, I'm I want to reconcile this through a different lens. I want to see this through a different lens. And you found it. And the film gave you that lens. It made that lens available where it's like, okay, maybe if you're not totally religious or if you're not religious that's okay but the relationship between the family is still so strong and they're central to the story that you could see it as yeah. as as the, the relationships that we build with with each other is what's important and what will save us mm-hmm. um and that relationship is established way throughout the film like again when morgan is doubting his father right when morgan is 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 doubting his dad and he says mm-hmm. a very horrible thing i wish you were my dad I mean, it's it's just a, like I get where he's coming from. I'm not I'm not blaming yeah. him, but I'm but it is a fucked up thing to say. Uh, Meryl's like, don't ever say that because he's your daddy and he loves you, and we will do anything to protect you. And and when Graham, and, and Meryl calls Graham out as well. He's like, you, I saw a look in you that I've there's never seen. There's things I can take. And there's some things I can't. <laughs> yeah, and he sets his ass straight. But it's it's exactly what Graham needed to hear. So all those mm. all those scenes validate what you're saying, that your point of view. And it's like, you know, it, you could have taken those scenes and made it with a secular family. It doesn't matter. What they're saying is still valid. You need to be there for the, your children and your father is there for you. You know, and maybe he's not doing things exactly how you want him to. But don't blame him because he's trying the best he can. Yeah. And some some dads don't even do that. You know, a, a lot of fathers don't do that. So I think the messaging is kind of, uh, it's, it's vague enough. I mean, well, it's vague enough where you can interpret it in different ways. Um, yeah, it doesn't like, it's not like Jesus comes from the heavens and tells him, tell Meryl to swing away. You know what I mean? Like he's it, remembering his dying wife. And, and I think his wife is telling him all these things because she knows she's about to die. Mm-hmm. I don't think that she's foretelling the future of when aliens attack. You know, she's not telling, <laughs> she's not telling Graham, make sure... You let Bo have all the glasses of water around the house because aliens are going to come and their weakness is water. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like she's she's telling him these things because she doesn't want him to grow resentful. Yeah, it's a great point. And something that I liked about this movie is that he's setting up these breadcrumbs, right? And when you set up these breadcrumbs, I mean, we, we talked about it at length with Harry Potter, right? Where I mm-hmm. thought the ending to that was just a little too convenient, right? Uh, it's like, oh, the key can only be caught by a wizard who could use a broomstick really well. And I'm like, okay, you set that up early in the film, but it, I don't understand the relevance to this whole, these challenges, but uh, It's whatever. like a bad security system. But... It's like a, it's a, it's a, it's a <laughs> security system that's designed for the perpetrator to come. Do you know what I mean? It, mm-hmm. And it's just like, that's terrible, but it's still a great movie. But this movie doesn't have that because it has that spiritual side of it where it's like the character sees it as, oh, my God, like this is why he has asthma, because this day was coming. And there's something to that where I'm like, you hid the scenes enough. You hid the scenes enough throughout the film 
and you're paying it off in such a cool way that I'm okay with it. You know, like you could you could make the argument it is very convenient that the that the kid that the kid that the alien caught has asthma, that the little girls freaked out of water, and that they're everywhere. And it's like you could say that I felt it was done just well enough where I could interesting. say interesting, yeah, where I could sus- suspend my disbelief and be like, okay. I don't mind this. Of all the things that you've accused of Deus Ex Machina, this might be the most literal application of that phrase. Yeah. Because it is a spiritual movie and God is literally saving them. <laughs> it's okay if God actually saves them. <laughs> I well that's that's how that's how Mel sees it. Or, you know, Graham. That's how okay. that God gave Morgan asthma because Morgan was going to get caught by an alien, which is so, which is weird to, which is a weird thing to say, but I'm, I think because it has those religious themes, I'm willing to forgive it because you can make the argument that God did all of this because he knew this was going to happen. The heat that, you know, that in the grand scheme of things, everything worked out the way it needed to. And I think that's why I'm willing to forgive it. Cause when God's involved, it's like, well, you know, it's God. If it's the force. Well, I'm fine with the force. I'm fine with the force, too. I like the force. I mean, I didn't. I Well, no, I like the force. Did I complain <laughs> about it? In a, I don't think so. In a new you home. did. I did? Yeah. You Man. said, I feel like you, you did say it's that Hermione thing. <laughs> you know what? I flip flop. I flip flop with it's Star fine. Wars. I, I, I will say this. I didn't. Well, no, but I even complained about it in Maverick a little bit. I love Maverick, but yeah. I was like, you don't have to go that far. It's interesting what like what makes you have such an adverse reaction to it and what what doesn't. I don't I feel like sometimes we dislike things and we don't really know why. And I hope that through doing these podcasts, we can figure out what it is we don't like about things better. Yeah, I wish I do think I do think about that because that's a good point. I, I did mention that in The New Hope and I definitely mentioned that when we were talking about Maverick where it's like rooster is basically using the force at the end um and it, i don't dislike the movie for that i don't i don't i wouldn't even say it's like a minus point it's just something that i thought was really funny but i mean i this this was an issue with harry potter where i was like I, it's too convenient i and, don't and uh white men can't jump too how so uh you didn't like the fact that uh woody had to make a basket to get his girlfriend on jeopardy oh yeah, yeah 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 oh yeah that that felt so out of pocket where it was just like wait what like so you make this hoop and you're able to get her onto jeopardy that was like a weird th- yeah, yeah yeah that was super weird i was like i don't see how the two align interesting yeah it's th- there is something to it because i mean and i say this all the time there needs to be a suspension of disbelief with every movie right doesn't right. doesn't matter if it's realistic or if it's far out fantasy, you need to suspend your disbelief because it's a movie. These are special circumstances. Star Wars is a weird universe, but not all the characters are going through what the character, our main characters are going through. You have to understand that these main characters are going through something very special. They're going to the Death Star. They're, that's a special circumstance that not other characters in that universe are going to go through, if that makes yeah. sense. So you need to suspend your disbelief because you could totally say that. Well, I'm a jet fighter pilot, and we would never do that. Okay, fuck you. It, it's, just, it's a movie. Yeah, but but there but there are instances where you push it. I don't know why it pushed it for me with Harry Potter and White Man Can't Jump. It was fine in Star Wars and Maverick, and in this movie, I'm totally fine with it. I it does not bug me in this movie. 
And I think it ha- I think it probably has to deal with the God thing because the movie revolves around faith and God. And it, that's the whole point or the, the way I interpret it, at least. Right. Where it's like this man is trying to wants to denounce God. Well, I think in the intent too. like I, I do think uh, M. Night Shyamalan is a spiritual person. He did go to Catholic school. I think he does have a little bit of that God in him. And that's why I think I'm more willing to be OK with it, because the, the, the interpretation that I have with it is like this man feels like God tore something out of him. But in the end kind of all this was set up by God in a weird way. And it it's what ultimately saved him and his family. And I think that's why I'm okay mm-hmm. with it. It's funny. Yeah. Cause there's ex machina in the one movie that actually has God in it. <laughs> I'm fine with it. Uh, well, like to me, it, it bothers me um, because like, all right, then why, if God really cared about this guy, why did he even send the aliens in the first place? A lot of people died. Yeah. A lot of people weren't lucky like him. <laughs> what the fuck but it's uh, that's why i like i don't see it that way and i i can still enjoy it you know i still we can both watch the same thing have different interpretations of it and still love it it's isn't is that something isn't that great that's art you know you look at a piece of of art and two people are gonna see it differently and that's great that's awesome imagine if we all saw the same movie and thought of the exact same thing that'd be fucking boring you know, it's, yeah. it's awful. I don't like that. I want different interpretations and different ratings of it. And the mm-hmm. next time I rewatch science, I'm going to look at it from your lens a little bit more and kind of see it from that secular point of view and be like, oh, I see exactly what he's saying. I love that. I think that's great. Um, yeah. I did want to mention um, one of the things that a lot of people have. I don't really have many issues with it. You know, the thing that would have normally been an issue is not an issue for me in this movie, <laughs> which I think is very funny. I I just I don't I don't know. You know, I could try to rationalize it. And maybe in a few years we're watching it. I'll, I'll pinpoint exactly why. But I think it's the, the inclusion of God that I'm willing to suspend my disbelief a bit more. But something that a lot of people had issue with with this film was the fact that the aliens their weakness is water. They're like, well, that's stupid. Why would aliens <laughs> go to a planet that's 75% water if water's what kills them? And yeah. I'm saying, and I'm saying my argument against that is maybe they don't know. And number two, it's not like they're, it's not like the aliens are defeated by water. They go to earth. They're investigating they set up these signs as like a way to navigate the planet. They go exploring. Then they find out, holy shit, this this thing that's the that's part of the majority of this planet will fuck us up. Let's leave. And they leave. That's how the film ends. They don't kill the aliens. They don't destroy the aliens. The aliens leave. Yeah. So I'm like, hey, it was an experiment that failed. Fuck it. How many aliens <laughs> did we lose? Fuck them. Let's get out of here. How many experiments do we do in our actual lives fail like this? How many stupid shit do we do in general? It goes back to that saying that we were saying. People overestimate how much how much they would survive in a horror film. Like yeah. most people don't do stupid ass decisions on a regular basis. A daily. Fucking daily. daily. These past three years have taught us anything. It's that people are a lot stupider than we originally thought. Three, three years? You're being three fucking years. generous. 
I yeah. would go. I would say further than that. If you could look at like the entire scope of of history, yeah, we make a lot of bad decisions. We do a lot of things that are not good for us long term. So I think aliens harvesting people on a planet where seventy percent of it is is uh, deadly to them. I don't think that that's that's uh, weird. Also, yeah. we don't know what the aliens really wanted. Exactly, we because we, because we're not seeing it from their perspective. We're not. There could be a bunch of aliens there that are like, why would we go to this planet? This is dumb. And then the other half of the aliens are like, well, we control the... We're using the filibuster, so you can't block us from doing this. We're gonna, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I it, mean? There could yeah. be like this whole like political thing with the aliens, and some of them are like, this is dumb. Why are we doing this? And the other half are like, let's go. We, you know? we barely know what the aliens look like. We barely. So why know, do you care? We 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 barely know what their physical capabilities are mm-hmm. because because we don't spend time with them. We spend time with the family. The family is the important part. And then once people start finding out that water is their weakness, they leave. If you have a problem with this ending, then you need to have a problem with War of the Worlds. You need to have a problem with like uh, World War Z, where the cure are diseases. It's like you can't. I don't I, I don't I don't know how at that point I got a question like why do you even watch movies yeah do you watch them to feel smart because like oh look at how dumb this is this person should have died here why why would you I don't understand that you know but I think a lot of people do that a lot of people do and it's just frustrating and look maybe maybe you could still think it's dumb like oh that's kind of dumb but that doesn't ruin the enjoyment that I had for the rest of the film like I don't think it's dumb who who really thinks that like oh my god there's aliens go grab a hose like nobody's thinking that <laughs> Every, everyone's thinking grab their tanks or nukes and stuff which also if we're talking about self-preservation why in the fuck did we ever create nuclear weapons in the first place if, if we're yep. talking about <laughs> man if we're talking about self-preservation right why would the aliens go to a planet with it's sev- it, where it's 75 percent water and water is their weakness like that seems kind of dumb that seems against self-preservation we've done the exact same thing multiple times you can never justify to me why we need nuclear weapons that can that can destroy entire countries and we have and we have buttloads of them oh yeah and some of them <laughs> are missing <laughs> And, and you're yeah. gonna question the aliens? Nah, motherfucker. Ask yourself these questions. Also, invest in fossil fuels that are killing our planet. Well, didn't you get the memo? Uh, climate change isn't real, Austin. I think you're. <laughs> I think the literature you have isn't real. I let yeah. me educate you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You you have people. You have. I'm being sarcastic, by the way, for our viewers. I, oh, I hope everyone knows that. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's look and you can still make your argument. Well, it's stupid because they're supposed to be super intelligent and smart and stuff like that. And it's like, aren't we? <laughs> we're supposed to be smart. Probably not. But, you know, and it's like I still enjoyed the spookums that I got throughout the film. And, and if, you know, I don't know what you wanted. I don't know what you would want. What would maybe the aliens don't have a weakness in which case they destroy the earth and that's the end of signs. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't know what you want. I don't know what you, I don't yeah, know. I, I feel like uh, all that like cinema sins and how it should have ended has, has like really done a number on the way people interpret media now. Jeez. And not, not yeah. for the better. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. Sometimes it could be God. really fun. 
And one of them does like pitch meetings where mm-hmm. it's like kind of pitching the movie. And I'm like, that's really funny. But CinemaSense is the worst. Here's the plot hole because this character does this, but it doesn't fall in line with It's like, fuck you. And man, so that's one of the biggest ways people will critique movies. It's got a plot hole. Yeah, when people say a movie has a plot hole, that might be a red flag. Yeah, for me. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, yeah, that's a red flag for me. If people actively talk about plot holes making a movie worse, that's kind of a like there are exceptions, but I'm like, they'll be like, Lord of the Rings is a bad movie because they could they should have flown the eagles to the <laughs> volcano. Okay, okay, I see, I see. Yeah, you're that guy, All right? Now I know who to avoid at this party. Yeah. So look. If if that if if you're one of those people that watches ninety percent ninety five percent of this movie and you're enjoying it, but it's that last final twist that you hate that that gets rid of everything positive that you felt before this movie. I don't know what I can say to you. I really don't. I don't even think that thing is a twist. I feel like M Night Shyamalan has like this reputation of being a twist director, but I don't think that people on I think people are using the term twist like too liberally. You you know what? I was going to say the exact same thing. And the job that we did have, Mm. you know, we'd see people like twist was good. And it's like, I don't think you understand what a twist is. Yeah, I feel like a twist is something that is information that is granted, you know, that Mm. is then turned upside down. Like what we thought was true was not. It's not, oh, well, the answer is this. And it's like this new, you know what I mean? That's I a twist. Explaining twist that. was good. And it's like, that wasn't a twist. That was just like a the, reveal. The twist would be that the main character was the killer the whole time. You yeah. know, Bruce Willis yeah. was a ghost. Yeah. Darth Vader is Luke's dad. Not, they blew up the Death Star. It's Leia being, Leia being Luke's sister, I don't think is a twist. It's just a it's reveal. More, it's more of a twist than uh, the alien's weakness is water. Because yeah. Well, it's a reveal. That's what it is. Because there was yeah. cause, cause there was nothing happening with water earlier on. You know? It's not like they're fighting water. They're fighting these well, aliens. They even say they might not like water. It, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, man, why isn't this water working with aliens? And it's like, ah, because we need more alkaline in the water. Or whatever that, th- that thing is. I, I don't know. I just... That whole twist... Yeah. Thing with M Night, I think he, from what I understand, he got a little. Maybe he got obsessed with it because then he felt like he needed to build a career off of them. Because I, I don't think that he. How many I've okay, so I did a lot of research into like why do people hate M Night Shyamalan? Because mm-hmm. there's a lot of people who hate this guy, mm-hmm. and he seems like a nice guy. Like I watched, we watched like the documentary of the making of Signs, and he seems like a nice person mm-hmm. who cares a lot about making movies. Never got me tooed. Never got in the yeah. big outrages or out, out, outrageous fights or anything. Just seems like a guy who's just trying to work and make movies. He wants to make movies that don't take him too far away from his family, from what I read. Um, who he lives in Pennsylvania, so I guess he he sticks to uh, writing what he knows. Maybe I don't know. Mm-hmm. So I was doing a lot of reading uh, from people who are like, "What?" There's this one article I read that was really funny. It's, it's like, "What the fuck is your problem with M Night Shyamalan?" <laughs> and, and then there's one called Village Idiot. Uh, mm. And this was written before The Village even came out. They were already 
like jumping on this guy because his movies don't make any sense. Uh, and there's a lot of, there's one thing that I, I found a lot was people that are criticizing him often make fun of his name. Shyamalama Ding Dong. Yeah. Do you know who else called him that? Who? Quentin Tarantino. When he was complimenting Unbreakable. Yeah, that, that definitely seems like a very tar- on-brand thing for Tarantino. It's kind of a racist thing, too. I'll, I'll say this. I definitely said that growing up as well. Oh, oh, we all did. Yeah. And, and it was like it was like fun to hate on this guy and call him Shamalama Ding Dong. And mm-hmm. but it's like the the dude's name is not that hard to pronounce. No, 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 it's not. You no, know, it's it's not one that we see a lot because we don't see a lot of Indian directors. If you look at it for the first time, you might have trouble saying it. But then if when someone says it's like, oh, OK, I got it. Yeah. Shyamalan. I think I might have said Shalaman. Yeah. Earlier in the podcast. You did. Sham- Shyamalan. Shyamalan. Uh, there's even this uh, robot chicken sketch. I don't know. You've probably seen the sketch before where his uh, family gets attacked by aliens, but the aliens are actually inviting him to a cookout or something. Oh, I don't remember this. Well, in the, the joke in that <clears throat> um, sketch is that the aliens are invading. and He's like, oh, my God, they're coming to invade. And the aliens are like, oh, surprise, we're friendly. And he goes, what a twist. But he <laughs> he says it in an Indian accent. Mm. And if you've heard M. Night Shyamalan talk before, he does not have an accent. No, he does not. We needed the sugar because we're baking a cake for a fancy party. And you're all invited, Shabba family. Mm, delightful. Let me just change into my good suit. Oh, honey, your good suit is at the cleaners. What a twist. Hi, I'm M. Night Shyamalan, and this is the Wired Autocomplete interview. What does the M stand for in M. Night? Um, th- it stands for Manoj, which is a very common name in, in India. It's not quite as common as Michael or something here, but it's pretty common. Everyone would mangle it in school. They call me Mango or m- a million things, and so it kind of abbreviated to, to M eventually. But in the sketch, they gave him an accent. Also, the aliens never pronounce his name correctly. That definitely seems like a very 2000 things to do, especially for Robot Chicken. It's it's a pretty racist thing to do. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, 100% <laughs> you have it to is. dance around it. Yeah, it's fucked up. It, it's one of it's like a, it's like the Britney thing. Like in the moment, I think we were all laughing at her and thinking mm-hmm. it was funny that she shaved her head. And then in retrospect, this was like, oh, wow. Why were we laughing at that? She was in a fucked up place. Yeah. Um, and I think it's the same with Shyamalan. And it, mm-hmm. I think the older I've gotten, it's like he he's made some stinkers. And that's fine. That doesn't make him a bad person. Uh, do I have to like him as a director? No, I don't. But, you know, kind of denouncing him to just say Shyamalama Ding Dong is like, I do think that on some part, it might come from a really, really hateful place from some from some people, you know, from some people, yeah. it just comes. It's just an ignorant thing. It's like, oh, it just sounds funny. We all did think it was funny at the time. But in retrospect, it's like, eh, it came from an ignorant place. Yeah, it's not it's not a great it's not a great uh, place to come from. And I went through some of his his movies, too. And like how many of them actually have twists? Right. Like like actual uh, he has, twist. Yeah. His first two movies. I don't think any they are very like I didn't know he was he directed those movies before. Uh, until I was doing reading up about him. The Praying with Anger and Wide Awake. 
both mm. are kind of uh, Christian themed faith based movies. The Sixth Sense that one has a twist, yep. right? Unbreakable. Does that really have a twist? Um, I I actually don't know. I wouldn't say it's a twist. The the guy in the wheelchair is actually a bad guy. Lex Luthor. Yeah, it just doesn't seem like a like a twist. I like like I guess he's the he's been causing accidents would be the I don't know that doesn't seem like what I would consider to be a twist. Yeah, same. Uh, hmm. Well, signs not a twist. The village, I would say, yeah, there's a twist there. Yeah. The lady in the water. I've never seen it. It seems like the it's pretty straightforward. It's like a fairy tale kind of story. Mm-hmm. The happening. The happening. There's not really a twist there either. No, that I, that's not a twist. People are like, but it's the plants. No, that we no, it's not the plants. I mean, it is the plants, but that was never a twist. We were always trying to figure out what it was. And what it was didn't end up mattering at all. If they had said, oh, my God, it's pollution. Pollution is what's making people go crazy. It's the, the gas emissions. And then it's like, oh, no, it's the plants. That would have been the twist. Instead, they were like, yeah. what's attacking us? What's killing? What's making people kill themselves? And it's like, oh, it's the plants. That's not a twist. The last airbender. No twist. After Earth. That's the Will Smith uh, yeah, Scientology didn't... adjacent movie. I've never seen it. He was supposed to direct um, Life of Pi. Huh. M. Night Shyamalan was supposed to do Life of Pi, and that movie does have a twist. That's why they were pitching it for him. Interesting. Uh, have you seen Life of Pi? No. I've never even read the book. But I feel like from the movies that I've talked about so far, it's just uh, The Sixth Sense and The Village that yeah. actually have twists. Mm-hmm. Oh, there is The Visit. Which I think does have a twist. Or I don't know, actually. I know that it's it kind of feels like these kids are visiting their grandparents, but their grandparents are actually, like, evil. But I, I think that's, like, in the premise of the movie. Well, there, no, no, it's that the grandparents, there's something wrong with the, the grandparents, right? They're, like, acting really weird, and it's like, well, don't leave the house after, don't leave your room after this time or something. I do think people like that movie, but this yeah. was... That was, like, well after he had the reputation of being a twist director. Yeah. Yeah, it was definitely um, during his comeback phase. Like, that Robot Chicken thing came out well before this. So, I I feel like he got the reputation for being a twist director because the twist in The Sixth Sense was so good. I think that's what it is, too. Because it was so good, right? Like, The Sixth Sense blew people's minds. Mm Mm-hmm. And so then it's like, oh, well, he's got to follow that up somehow. I was talking about this with Chris, kind of relating it back to like modern time. Like, you know, we were watching Nope, uh, directed mm-hmm. by Jordan Peele. And Jordan Peele had an, a great, an amazing, near perfect feature debut, right? Which is um, Get Out, right? Which deals mm-hmm. with elements of horror, black identity, you know, we, we've all seen Get Out. And he's gone on to make two other films. And now I think people are like, like, because he made a film that was so much about racial identity that now people are like, well, what's, how does this movie relate to racial identity? You, you know what I mean? Whereas, like, in Us and in Nope, yeah, there's an element to that. 
But that might not be the main driving idea, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But now because he made Get Out and Get Out was so good and so popular, everyone, everything, everything that Jordan Peele has to make from here on out has to be about race, right? Mm-hmm. Even though the film might not be about it. You know, he might just have a black cast because, hey, I just want to have black actors. Yeah. I, I've seen I've seen that a lot of times now where it's like, a director will have a debut film and it's like, oh, this is what they're known for. Now they have to keep doing it, right? Yeah. Uh, and I mean, I feel like that's kind of the case with Jordan Peele, you know, where you, you'll, you'll have something like Nope, which still does touch on race politics. Like it's not avo- devoid of it, but you could say, you could argue that it's about other things as well. Yeah, it's uh, about like our love that might be dangerous, uh, a dangerous love for spectacle. Yes. Um, animal cruelty is another one, a big mm-hmm. thing. So while I'm not saying he's not touching on it, it's like it doesn't seem like it's the main driving force. Now, that's just my right. interpretation. I still could be wrong. Um, same with um, M. Night Shyamalan, where it's like, oh, one of his big Hollywood films has a twist. Now you got to put a twist in regardless. What if Shyamalan's like, I don't want to make a movie with a twist. No, but you got to. And if you don't, we're still going to see one anyway. Yeah, and we're going to say that it's a bad twist if it's... And we're going to make fun of you because your last name is funny to me. Criticism's always been a little weird. Like, people will, will say it's because of The Last Airbender being bad. That's why we hate him. But, like, Ooh, okay, maybe The bad. Last Airbender is bad. I haven't yeah. seen it, but I'll take your word for it. I'll, I'll say, yeah, that was a bad movie. But how many other horrible adaptations were we subjected to? A lot. Uh, I, I, a lot. But do you and, remember any of the people who directed those movies? No, not by name. No one hates the person who directed Aragon or Dragon Ball Evolution or oh. The Golden Compass, The Dark Nobody Tower, knows their fucking names. Who does? Percy Jackson, Divergent. Like, they all had terrible adaptations. The, the person who, wrote, who directed The Golden Compass, they got to write a Star Wars movie. Huh? Chris, Chris White's, Chris White's. That's, that's this industry, man. And I think the thing about it is, I think what was, what threw people off was the fact that Airbender was so bad and it came from someone who Hollywood was claiming to be the next Spielberg back in the nineties. And it's like, wow, how the mighty have fallen. Mm -hmm. Um, Which is still like really interesting in itself as a career path. But again, no reason to to it seems like the hate is coming more from other things other than the films because we've seen plenty of films but you're right how many of those films directors can you name not a lot now m night is a household name right so i'll give you that but i think people like to poke fun at the idea that number one he's indian and number two he was this big hot shot who made started started going downhill you know, people love that story. People love the oh, zero yeah. to hero and people love the hero to zero. And M. Mm-hmm. Night's career has kind of gone that trajectory. There was an article I read that said some of the negative feedback was starting to get to him. Mm-hmm. Um, I One, there's a BFI article that I read that's where they have it in quotes that like, yeah, it doesn't feel great. But I was like, where did he say that? I want to see the interview. but I, I can't find it. There's a video of him responding. It's a weird video because he's on press for the last airbender and he's like how do you respond to to people saying oh what are your what's your response to the critics that hate you 
like when you're doing press for a movie that maybe you know is not good like how do you respond to that authentically I don't um, know, and he's man. just like well i don't know i mean i make movies for a global audience and you know some people call me dumb here and they call me genius in japan so i don't know it's weird <laughs> and that's probably the best response you can have outside of saying fuck them and uh, there's a i think a scene in uh lady in the water where there's a critic who gets killed by one of those demon dogs that come from the water world. Mm. And I'm like, okay, maybe he's a little bit frustrated so that he's killing them in his movies. <laughs> no, that's, I mean, but that's fine though. I mean, you could vent. That's fine. I don't think that's a problem with, I don't think there's a problem with that. I mean, I just, we've seen that before. I just feel bad that he, I don't know. I feel like it did get to him because his movies definitely suffered. You feel bad that it got to that point. Yeah, you feel bad that it even had to get to that point where he felt that he had to put some of his frustration into the film, right? Because he's he's not like a very cynical, spiteful person, you know. No. Science is very sincere. Yes. Oh, that's such a good way of putting it. And the Sixth Sense and like the Village. I read some reviews. Uh, Roger Ebert wrote a review for for Science. Get four stars. And then for Village, he gave it one star. I don't think it was his best movie, but I feel like going back to it now, it's like, okay, I, th- I feel like there is more value to this movie than critics didn't, that critics didn't give to when it came out. Like the twist, do you, have you seen The Village? I have not. I don't, I, don't I, I think I know the twist, but I haven't seen it, which I do yeah. want to go back and rewatch because I feel like, you know, maybe it was one of those things where people were so disappointed just because signs hit so hard back in the day that mm-hmm. they're like, oh, this is this is follow up. Oh, he fucking sucks. I feel like there's more to the village than the twist. Mm-hmm. There's this like theme of these characters being so hurt by the tragedy that they've experienced, that they've decided to move away to this like small little community where all of that outside pain can't can't reach them. But at the end, it still does, you know, and it, there's like a bit of like, oh, man, that's really sad, you know? Yeah, I really want to watch it. Like I said, it's not like his greatest movie, but I think but, there is more to movies than just being good and bad. And I think yes. that's what we do here. Well, there's there's more to discern. And look, maybe a movie might not be good, but maybe you like something about it. Maybe a certain performance, a theme, a shot, a a light, uh, you know, fucking edits, a joke, something. Come on, th- come on. This is a piece of art that people have spent a lot of money and a lot of time and a lot of effort putting together. Find something to like about it. And if you really don't, then now you know that movie's a piece of shit. I feel like a lot of the negative reviews are just, they're take. it's like they're written with a smile on their face. Yes. You know, and it's like, okay, you're making, you're just having fun shitting on this movie. Like, what what about it is is bad? Which I will say, I've done that as f- as well a few times, and it yeah, can same. feel pr- it can feel really good. There are some recent films that I've saw that I was like, "This is so bad." I'm gonna love talking so much shit about this movie. Um, and and I don't, you know, in retrospect, it's like, ah, should I really feel that way? I still do. <laughs> I think there's but- ways to to write negative reviews that aren't just like having fun being mean. Yes, sometimes it's fun being mean. Sometimes, but you mm-hmm. need to you need to do it in low dosages. It can't be the only way you see movies because if that's the only way you critique and watch movies, 
then you're, then all movies will always disappoint you. You can write a bad review about everything. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's like, unless the, it's only what you like, which is Marvel films or whatever, right? Mm. Only Marvel films are good. Everything else is trash. And it's just like, come I don't know. And I do feel bad for M. Night because no one should really go through that. I don't think so. You know, he's never said anything hurtful or outright bad. Um, I don't even think I've heard him curse or anything. Like, I don't think he's a religious guy. Like, Tarantino said way more disgusting shit. James Cameron has admitted to being an asshole. Uh, but we're fine with that. And here's a guy who's just trying to get by and make decent movies. And no, we got to tear this motherfucker down. We're going to write his tombstone and we're going to fuck up his last name on purpose. Fuck you. It's hard making movies. People are like, mm-hmm. oh, this is how we should have done it. Well, go fucking make a movie yourself. See if it's as big of a hit as signs. Fourth highest domestic, uh, fourth highest grossing movie at the domestic box office. This movie beat out Lord of the Rings domestically. Well, didn't Lord of the Rings come out like late in the year? Yeah, still. S- still, it it was up there. Like, imagine Nope placing fourth at the, at the domestic box office yeah. in 2022. Yeah. A year where we're seeing another Harry Potter movie, more Star Wars stuff, more Lord of the Rings stuff with the Amazon show. And uh, what was the other one? Spider-Man. Spider- Spider-Man which, stuff. Which which <laughs> we saw last September, December, and which we're going to see more in the future. This year, yeah. they're putting out an extended version of No Way Home. So, yeah, man. I mean, no need to tear these people down. I'm not saying you got to kiss their ass. And sometimes right. it's fun talking shit. But no need to take it to a certain level. And, and like, be honest with your critique, you know? Like, mm-hmm. don't call him the twist director when he's got, like, two movies with a twist. I feel like he gets too much hate. Yeah, absolutely, um, 100%. And we're, like, perfectly fine with giving Mel Gibson a pass. Perfectly fine <laughs> with uh, casting James Franco as Fidel Castro. In, in oh, some yeah, I saw that. <laughs> well, that's the, that's the thing, right? Like, even I'm... Look, I don't condone what Mel Gibson's done. Um, really, he's done some bad stuff. But fuck, he acts his ass off here. So you got to give him props. It's tough, man, trying to trying to reconcile. People, people will love you until you stop delivering the things that they like. The moment you stop delivering the things that they like, they will hate you. Even if, but, but if you're an asshole, but you keep delivering what they like, they'll still love you. R. Kelly. James Franco. Mel Gibson. I think there's uh, degrees of of their their sins, of the severity of their sins, but very much so. Yes. Let's talk slightly about Mel Gibson because I don't think people really realize kind of who he is. Um, just real quickly, you know, Mel is a super religious person. He's part of this set of Cantist tradition traditionalist Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. Um, he filmed Passion of the Christ, which was a hugely controversial film, and for a while, one of the highest R-rated grossing films of all time. So he's a really religious person, and they, he's also been described as ultra-conservative. He was criticizing Bill Clinton because he, he didn't know what he was doing, and that people were telling him what to do, that the Rhodes Scholarship was established to bring in a new world order, uh, and that it was a campaign for Marxism. This man is old school. Old school, oh, conservative, he's like religious. Fox News 
type. He definitely he? watches Fox News. I think he was a he was a big supporter of Trump. I remember the video of him saluting Trump at a UFC event. I remember that too. After the second election. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Mel loves yeah. his conservatism, and and um, it seemed like he he had early problems with alcohol because that he started drinking when he was thirteen. Oh man. Yeah, and he's been pulled over. He's had multiple DUIs. Like he's been pulled over drunk many times. Right. I, I think it happened. Um, I think it happened. Uh, nineteen eighty four in two thousand six. Uh, two thousand four. Like this man has. He's been struggling with alcoholism. Right. I don't think he's ever really served like prison time or anything. And he's been, you know, he went to AA meetings and he did his community service. I don't know if he's sober today. Um, well, it, I, it's always something that's going to be with you. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't know if he's, I don't know if he stopped drinking or if that's even, I, I don't, I don't know where he stands at that right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I imagine he's not drinking, but I, I don't know. Do, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But so he's had he's always had those issues. Right. And he's been accused of a lot of stuff. I mean, he was um, he was accused of homophobia, you know, but he did the press tour and he like he joined Glad in hosting 10 lesbian and gay filmmakers for an on location seminar or on the set of conspiracy theory. He said some stuff about Jewish people where, you know, um, like he got pulled over. Because he was driving under the influence, and then he said, "Like, uh, well, I'm not, I'm not going to repeat what he said, but he was definitely criticizing Jews. He was like, the Jews are responsible for all wars in the world. That's like the one thing I can't say. Like, yeah. after you, when he got pulled over for a DUI, like, how do you go from getting pulled over for a DUI to doing an anti-Semitic rant? But, but he was drunk. Like, it, like it doesn't make any sense. Ah, uh, yeah. But, but he was drunk. <laughs> like." Okay. And and this, there, I think there was a story where it's like for breakfast. Sometimes he'd have four pints. Jesus. The biggest thing was the phone call that leaked between him and his ex girlfriend, Oksana Grigor, Grigorieva, and where he said some horrible things to her that we cannot say on here. Mm. But basically, he wanted some horrible things done to her by black people. Um, Jesus. and it would go on, and he's like slut shaming her saying that her dresses are too tight and stuff like i mean he's he's pulling the ringer on all these things and that's when he got blacklisted like he was dropped by his agency for how long well he was blacklisted for almost a decade for almost a decade he wasn't in any movies well he was still acting but in like some minor stuff but not in hollywood stuff Mm. His his real comeback really started coming in like 2016 when he directed Hacksaw Ridge. Um, that was nominated got, for Best Picture. Nominated for Best Director, I think. Best Director, Mel Gibson. He was nominated. Ah. So you said from from 2000... So from 2010... So from 2010 to 2016. He was in different films. Like I know Jodie Foster directed a film called The Beaver where he was in it. Like he was already having he was having problems. Like in the nineties, he was accused of glad of homophobia. He had said he had said the stuff in two thousand six about about the Jew about about Jews. Um, mm-hmm. In two thousand ten, he got caught with that phone call. So this mm-hmm. was, I mean, I'm sure some people were a bit more worried about him. Like, ah, we don't we don't know if if Ben's all if Mel is all there, you know. Mm-hmm. And then in two thousand ten, that's when it was like, all right, he's gone, he's out. Six years later, he directs Hacksaw Ridge. 
you know. But I don't even really think that Mel is all that bad. I think the film community was, like, willing to work with him. But nowadays, like, you know, like, you know, people are people are getting called out on their bullshit often now. Yeah. I don't know if, like, the new film industry post Me Too is going to allow that, you know, allow him to come back and be rewarded ceremoniously. Is Hollywood perfect and good now at post me too no there's still no. a lot of shitty things happening but i mean harvey weinstein one of the most powerful men in hollywood is going to jail mm-hmm. bill cosby went to jail and got off on a technicality but that mm-hmm. man is never gonna work again nowadays you really have to wonder how much if these if these actors are gonna be able to make a comeback like with mel I, yeah he directed hacksaw ridge but that was six years ago can he do it again? I don't know. He hasn't directed a movie since Hacksaw Ridge. Well, he's going to direct a, a sequel to Passion of the Christ. I believe that's even filming right now. But we'll but we'll see what happens when it does if it does premiere. Because I know people on Twitter are going to have some thoughts about it. They've had thoughts about James Franco making a comeback. Yeah, you know well, Woody, I don't know. Woody I... Allen, you know Kevin Spacey, you know. Hmm. I so think it's... with uh, like the whole Johnny Depp thing, like him winning. The, the second defamation case, I feel like that's going to open the door for a lot of other people to sue their accusers and use their millions of dollars to. Yeah, it's a it is going to be interesting to see what happens. Yeah. And that, I there was something else that happened really recently, like leaked documents of their their strategy uh, to to make her seem like this terrible person that has made a lot of people who supported Depp kind of like unlike some of their posts. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, it's it's terrible. I'm I mean, that's the thing with, with Mel Gibson, you know, watching this film. I really liked his performance. I liked his character, but it goes back to what you were what you were saying. Like, man, why do you make it so difficult to like you? Um Yeah. And uh I mean does it change how I see the movie? <sighs> a little a little it's a little weird, but once you're once you're watching once you're in the film, you kind of forget and you're like, oh, okay, like I'm watching Graham and Meryl kind of go through this alien invasion together. I still want to root for Graham in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the performance is great. Performance yeah. is great all around. I, I would still, I still love this movie. No, I do um, too. If anything, I have newfound love for it because I didn't yeah. love it as a kid, but I do now and. I do want to own it and have it and rewatch it in the future. Cause I'm like, this was definitely an experience that I really enjoyed and I liked, and it felt unique, especially when you put it like up there against independence day and, and whatnot, you know? Mm-hmm. So much, I would much rather prefer this than independence day. Ah, for me, it's a toss up. Cause I, I like both <laughs> extremes. Yeah. Did you want to move on to the quotes? Yeah. It's let's true. move on to the quotes. At the end of our episodes, we like to summarize all of our feelings about the movie from a quote within the film. Uh, it could be our favorite quote, it could be the quote that resonates the most with us, or it could be like a funny thing that we've been, you know, like a theme of the episode. Uh, George usually goes first. And I do have two, going back oh, to my Oh, and he normal. breaks the rules. I usually say he usually breaks the rules, but I feel bad because the last few times he hasn't. But today I broke the rules. It's, it's just going to be in the script. From now on. (laughs) (laughs) I got two quotes. One funny and one that's um, straightforward. And they're both from Meryl. 
So the funny one, the one that resonated with me the most, is Meryl saying to Officer Caroline, excluding the possibility that a female Scandinavian Olympian was running around outside our house last night, what else might be a possibility? And that's when she says, I'm not done asking questions and I don't appreciate sarcasm. And I was <laughs> dying during that whole scene. And that quote summarizes how funny this movie could be. I didn't read it in the funniest way, but if you watch the movie, you're going to be laughing too. But my actual quote that I really like that kind of shows how strong the bond between the family members is and what resonated with me the most is when Meryl's talking to Graham and he says, there are a lot of things I can take and some things <laughs> I can't. But what I can't take is when my older brother, who's everything I want to be, starts losing faith in things. I saw that look in your eyes last night. I don't ever want to see that look in your eyes again. And that was a moment where I audibly went, oh, shit. <laughs> and it just stuck with me. And I love nice. it so much. I think it's a great quote. Meryl's a great character. Loved it all around. Joaquin was amazing in this. He's so good. And I'm excited you know that- for Joker, too. <laughs> I am more excited for Joker 2 than Joker 1, I guess. Oh, yeah, 100%. 100% same. Joker like 1, it, I was like, this might be a bad idea. But with Joker 2, I'm like, oh, okay, this is interesting. Oh, it might be a musical? Well, yeah. shit. With, with Joker 2, I was like, Ugh. And then I, I saw that Joaquin Phoenix was coming back. I'm like, okay. And All I right. saw Lady Gaga was going to be. I'm like, okay. It's like that Vince McMahon meme. And then when I heard it was going to be a musical, I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, I like the bold decision. And he's a great actor. And he's he's always been a great actor. Oh, yeah. Great. Did you know he was almost uh, going to... Meryl's character was almost going to be played by Mark Ruffalo? Yes, I read about that. Crazy. He had to go into surgery. For a tumor. But then they found out it was benign. But this, this I mean, this role would have been different with Mark Ruffalo. I think, it, I think Joaquin fit it well oh yeah all right so my quote comes from the cop character is the only cop i've seen in a movie that i liked (laughs) that's a lie i like robocop (laughs) Um, but uh i like her quote i feel like she's kind of looking out for the town she knows everybody's names and the the things that have affected them and the advice to give um and after all the, the crazy stuff on TV happens and there's crop circles worldwide. She, she tells Graham, the last thing these children need to do is worry about some crazy things happening in the world. Take them into town. Get their minds, your mind, on everyday things. It's good medicine. And I, I like that quote because sometimes, like all of our problems and the problems of the world seem very daunting, but uh, I feel like remembering... Uh, what is important to you in your life, like your family, your pets, and all, your friends and all that stuff. I feel like just taking things day by day and appreciating little things is, is good medicine. Absolutely, especially in today's world. It just seems yeah. like we're getting bad news every day. Sometimes mm-hmm. you just got to get your mind off of things. I like that yeah. too. I like it a lot. That is it for our episode of science hope you enjoyed it we are on social media retrograde underscore pod on twitter and instagram we have a discord we have a youtube uh dm us on our social media if you want to get in on the discord uh i try to keep it a a cool place you know um so i don't throw out the invite 
I don't have it like listed publicly because, you know, there's some there's some bad eggs out there. <laughs> we don't want them hooligans. Yeah, we don't want any uh, Mel Gibson simps to come and complain about us <laughs> talking about his history of things that he's done. You know, because I like the movie still. All right. Yeah. Get off my back. Mad Max is one of my favorite movies of all time. It, uh, we've had two Mel Gibson films. We literally spent time talking about some of the awful things he said. But I still like Mad Max and I love signs like, you know, don't bag on us, man. Yeah. We oh, can we yeah. can admit when things are good and bad. Like mm-hmm. it is what it is. We actually don't know what film is going to be next. I do have an idea. Ooh, are you talking about the two towers? I think so. I think it might be time to talk about the two towers. Okay, we gotta get in touch with Becky then. We do. We keep procrastinating, but I think that yeah. might be it because I think the show's either coming out in August or September. It's coming out in September. Okay. So oh, there so might it, be an episode in between. Yeah. So okay. So there might be an episode in between. We'll figure out which one it is, but expect the two towers pretty soon. I watched a clip of it recently, and holy shit, does that that movie hit so hard? Oh yeah. The the. Oh, I'm so I'm. Good. S- so excited to rewatch it. Yeah, but that that is it for this. Uh, September 2nd is when the Rings of Power comes out. Mm, um, so gotcha. there might be an episode in between. But, uh, you know, we, we take our time with these episodes. Like, sorry, it's been so long from since the last episode. Some real life things have gotten in the way. Uh, if I could, I would do this full time. But I cannot. We've tried to always stay consistent, but we don't also want to want to be overwhelmed. You know, we, we do have things outside of this. We don't we don't feel good about skipping a week, but sometimes we realize we have to. But honestly, Austin and I have been pretty good about posting this stuff very regularly. And I think we're going to go back to our schedule very soon. Yes. Um, and just know that if not, you know, just we just need a little we just need a little bit of time because we love putting these episodes together and they take a lot of time. Yeah, it's so we're recording this uh, Friday night. So Austin and I are not doing anything Friday night. <laughs> we're here talking about a movie in our rooms. Yeah. Um, but we love it. We love doing this stuff. It's great. So we 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 definitely aren't half assing it. So we thank you guys right. for your patience. Um, and if if you would want to hear us talk about Nope, uh, George and I are are working on a Patreon where we will do more modern movies and we'll do like uh, some tier list things. It'll be like, I guess, looser form, but like more stuff like this. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're interested in that, we will be working on it. It's not ready yet, but it'll be ready soon. So if you like listening to this episode, you want to hear us talk about Nope. You want to hear us talk about uh, Doctor Strange 2 or Sword Spider-Man, 2 or 4. Top Gun. Top Gun Maverick. The Matrix. We uh, need to do I, an episode where it's like, here are the movie releases from this summer. Here's what we think. Because last time we did that with a year, and it was a really good episode, but it was a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot. That was uh, a long and, episode, which I which I really like, but I'm like, we can make that a Patreon exclusive. We could. You know, and if that's the kind of thing you would like to see, let us know. Um we'll we'll be releasing I I think by the end of the year we'll have the Patreon ready. Yes, 100%. Maybe even sooner than that. Yeah. Because there's only like four months left of the year. Yeah. <laughs> but we'll do it. We'll do it. This is fun. I love doing this. Um, but that's all. Uh, we will see you in two weeks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.